I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of June 2023, and we have no theme planned for the next couple of months uh, because my regular co-host Kyle uh, has some real life shit going on. Uh, so I'm just kind of winging it for the next couple of months here. Uh, and that brings me to uh, today's episode uh, where I will be talking uh, with my brother, Matt, uh, who is also a podcaster in his own right. Uh, he has the wrestling, uh, he has the Hollywood Brunettes wrestling podcast if you're into pro wrestling. Uh, and he also has the couch co-op uh, video game podcast. Um, so, hey, Matt, uh, it's been a while since we've done a show, or at least done my show together. Um, how you doing, man? <laughs> how you doing, Trev? Uh, yeah, I love how you replaced the academic Kyle with your idiot older brother who has a pro wrestling and video game podcast at the ripe old age of 40. Like, real <laughs> upgrade there, pal. <laughs> hey, man, everything I learned about this game, I learned from you. So, so I'm I'm just following your lead, um, and if you if you can't remember, we I mean, folks, you you folks wouldn't absolutely know this, but um, the first podcast I ever did was with my brother Matt. Um, we we did the uh, the Hopper Brocast, um, which can be found on YouTube somewhere. Um, great times many years ago, but um, we've since both gone on to do shows of our own, and I think we're both pretty damn good at it, so fuck off if you don't think otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I think we even did uh, the original Creed movie on on that one, if I recall. If not to that particular podcast, we definitely discussed it on a recording. I think you're right, actually. I, I think our review uh, that we did together uh, in my apartment um, for the original Creed, I think that did come in the form of a Hoppa Brocast, um, not ca Catching Up on Cinema episode. Uh, we did do Creed 2 together uh, for Catching Up on Cinema, but yeah, damn, it was that long ago. Um, which brings us, of course, uh, to the episode, uh, the movie in question that we're going to be talking about today, uh, Creed 3. Um, we're going to be talking about Creed 3, which is directed by uh, its star, starring and directed by uh, Michael B. Jordan, um, kind of following suit uh, from the DNA of the Rocky franchise, from which the Creed franchise was spawned, wherein the star of the film becomes the director as well as the star. Um, however, this is, of course, the first and to date only Creed film that doesn't actually feature uh, the Rocky Balboa character in it. Um, Matt, uh, up front, I guess we should disclose our, our feelings on the first two Creed films going into this one. Um, I'll, I'll just say up front, I think the first Creed was brilliant the first time I saw it, and I think I like it even more now, which is shocking to me. Um, and Creed 2, I've always maintained that it didn't need to be good, but then I walked out of the theater with you, and I was like, you know what? I think they actually made a good movie. <laughs> like I, I didn't need that. I wasn't expecting that, but I think they did it. Uh, but how about yourself? No, it sums it up perfectly. Uh, in watching this one, all I was thinking was how much I appreciate mm -hmm. uh, the first Creed movie. And it's been forever since I've watched it, but now I have a strong desire to go back because uh, just the lore they've created for that character was a lot deeper than originally uh, I was expecting because I have a tendency to kind of forget because, you know, I I've always been hyper focused on the Rocky franchise. This one I enjoyed. Um, 
very much, but yeah, like it, it made me realize how much I recall of that movie for sure. And the second one was just a brilliantly done, stupid boxing flick, but paying a great amount of homage to the old classic parts of the Rocky franchise while also carving out an amazing niche as well for the character of Adonis Creed. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really a big fan of the first two, and I was super excited going into this one just because it is the jump-off point of officially becoming its own franchise removed from any uh, mention of Rocky Balboa. And, you know, as, as much as I hold near and dear that franchise to my heart, like, I do think that this is an important one as well to, to have its own legacy removed from that. So I, I was really intrigued going into it for sure for that reason. Yeah, <clears throat> I think when we both talked about Creed 2, like a, a very fun part of that discussion um, was speculating on what was to come uh, for the franchise because like we're going to spoil anything and everything uh, just just so you know, folks. I know this movie technically only came out like three months ago, but it is available on Blu-ray now. If you were intending to see it, you've had every opportunity to see it. So as is the norm here at Catching Up on Cinema, spoilers ahead. Um, but yeah, with the way Creed Two ended, um, with the Rocky Balboa character going to meet his grandson for the first time, and having that symbolic stepping over the threshold into his son's home, and I think like Vancouver, maybe I think it was BC, like, um, and with the repetition of the Rocky Balboa character in the more recent entries in the series, constantly emphasizing how like I think if you live in a place long enough you become that place to some extent so from a symbolic standpoint it made a lot of sense like to me anyway to just kind of like have that be the end of that character like i i actually like this may be controversial but i was actually somewhat comfortable with the idea of having that be his the end of his story where it's like rocky balboa's finale his grand finale is he gets to be a grandpa and grow old and probably pass away in his sleep or something it doesn't have to end with fireworks he's already had plenty of them and i thought the imagery and the the drama that came from him shedding tears of seeing meeting his grandson for the first time was touching and i was very comfortable with that being the end of that and having so much of the the very end of that movie of creed to be seemingly hyper focused on this idea of now all of your all of your trauma and your hangups with being in your father's shadow, Adonis Creed, are resolved. The book is closed. You can now move forward and therefore the franchise can move forward beyond constantly referencing that which came before. Um, that seemed to have been the mission statement at the end of that film. However, they reneged on that deal for sure because this movie is actually is is slathered with, with references uh, to the both the Creed and the Rocky films, especially in a lot of ways, mostly in terms of like structure and characters placement in the narrative and whatnot. But it's the DNA is still very much etched into the thing. But yeah, I had a decent amount of hype going into this one as well. Um, although I did have a lot of red flags uh, pop up just prior to the release of this one. Um, Matt, are, are you aware of any of the drama leading up to the release of this film? I can't say that I am. Um, you know, I'm more familiar with kind of some of the controversy that's since uh, played out with the film's antagonist, but, um, which I'm sure we'll briefly skirt over. But but no, I, I didn't hear anything leading up to the release on this one. 
Yeah, I mean, this is where the, you know, internet journalism thing kind of rears its ugly head and ruins the movies for you a little bit. Um, So leading into this one, it was widely publicized that Sylvester Stallone was absolutely not going to be in the film. Uh, His name is still attached to the film as a producer, although I I have no idea to what extent he was involved in the actual production of the film. Um, But the big story was that um, he is still embroiled in like a blood feud um, with Erwin Winkler, uh, who has been a producer on both the Rocky and the Creed films since day one. Uh, it's Winkler and Chartoff, I believe, were the two producers associated with the, all of those films. Um, he has like serious beef, like Philly beef. <laughs> he's got Philly level beef with Mr. Winkler. Um, and as a result, uh, he's uh, Stallone has basically said, fuck that guy and anything that he touches, I will never work with him again. Uh, and it has something to do with the rights to the Rocky characters and iconography being snatched away from him and being like legally assigned to Erwin Winkler instead. So I think Stallone's just waiting out his inevitable death. He is in his 90s. I mean, Stallone's no spring chicken either. He's in his upper 70s. Um, but he has actually said he has no problem with Michael B. Jordan whatsoever. Uh, so that's that's kind of nice that he's he's cool with him. It's just that fucking guy. <laughs> um, so it was it was kind of unfortunate to hear that there was that contentious relationship going on behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, Michael B. Jordan is stepping into the director's chair for the first time and probably doesn't have any real access to Sylvester Stallone in any capacity, like mentorship or otherwise. Um, so that was kind of sour uh, going in, just just knowing that, having confirmation of that, like leaving no room for surprises or cameos or anything like that. That was a bit just that was a bit of a spoiler for me, I guess. Um, yeah, I, now you mentioned, I know what you're talking about. And it didn't help the fact that when he was uh, talking about, I remember the big, he- big headline was that Stallone made a comment saying, I'll never watch that movie. And it was specifically in regards to what you were saying is he was, what he was trying to say is I don't want anything to do with that guy. Fuck that guy. And the way it came across was, and was reported on was basically him saying like, you know, I'm not involved, so I want nothing to do with it. I don't care if my name's attached as a producer. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like we joked about it a lot in Creed 2, but even at that end, even though they gave him that really heartfelt farewell, like there's that one sequence in particular where Rocky Balboa literally says like, it's your title now or something along those lines. And he literally, it's him like hanging back in a chair while Adonis is celebrating holding the title. And he looks so pissed off in real life like not this isn't acting like it's not like a cheerful like hey you just won the the belt champ like go celebrate with your family it's like a very clear like you've been pulled you've taken my spotlight this is your franchise now and i'm being kicked to the curb and i'm pissed about because i'm an old dude who still wants to make shitty prequel movies with this ip and you know it's I, I get the sense that like it was a bitter, bittersweet uh, departure for him, even though I think they did it in the best possible way they could. Because really, like the last thing you need at that point, we we talked about when we talked about the first Creed movie was like, are, where are the odds that we're going to see Rocky Balboa you know, pass away in one of these films? And we both thought it was very likely. And I thought this was an even better way where it's like he actually gets the ultimate sign of peace, which is 
kind of drift off into obscurity for the first time in however many years in the Rocky verse. So, um, yeah, I, I really get the sense that that feud was already beginning in, in Creed too. that there was a lot of anger. I know for certain that Stallone had been talking for a long time. I think even before the first Creed movie was made about making a prequel of both him, the Rocky character and Apollo Creed's character when they were younger. So, and, and I think that like, even with the, this franchise, he was trying to steer them in that direction of possibly having, you know, Adonis Creed or Michael B. Jordan dressed up as Apollo Creed at one point to play his dad. And, you know, which just sounds terrible as I say it out loud, but also, you know, this is the same guy who made the Expendables three. So nothing is outside the realm of possibility here. Expendables four trailer dropped today brother <laughs> and uh it he is listed in the credits as and sylvester stallone so i have to imagine he's not in a whole lot of it um but yeah you're absolutely right um i know exactly which scene you're talking about you pointed out when we were in the theater you're like oh my god <laughs> like, um, basically folks if you don't know what my brother was just referencing um it's after the fight in, at the end of creed 2 uh, for some reason rocky just can't be bothered just get up in that ring He's just like, nope, I'm going to stay in this chair. <laughs> I'm not moving for nobody. <laughs> it's just very obstinate, Sylvester Stallone, just unwilling to even stand that late in shooting or something. And also, I, I know for a fact, I've seen it. Um, there are cut scenes from Creed Two that I suspect, my, my nose tells me, that more than likely they were only shot to appease Stallone with zero intention of including them in the final cut. And what I'm talking about is, of course, uh, he and Ivan Drago, uh, Dolph Lundgren, actually get in a, a scuffle at one point. They actually shot that scene. And I'm, I want to say that was just like stroking Stallone's ego, making him feel like he's having an impact on the set or something. It's like, no, man, you're, you're, you're a co-star at, like, at best in this film. And in fact, I hate to say it, but as much as I absolutely adore the character of Rocky Balboa, he is one of the worst parts of Creed 2. <laughs> like, he's shoehorned into some odd places in that film, in particular, uh, the soggy midsection of that movie that makes no goddamn sense. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter because that film is bookended by some absolute brilliance. The middle is, it makes no goddamn sense. They have that really contrived sequence where Adonis has to get mad at him for some reason. And Rocky's just like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go away now. I'm going to go let you get your head kicked in for no real reason other than to set up the second half of the film. Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, Stallone has no, he has no presence in this film. Uh, so like, if you didn't know that, now you know that. Um, but we should set the stage real quick as to what players we actually are dealing with in Creed Three. Um, so we have, of course, Michael B. Jordan returning as Adonis Creed, the son of Apollo Creed, who is uh, cited by the character of Rocky Balboa himself as the greatest who ever did it, uh, as, as in greatest heavyweight champion boxer in, in the history of the Rockyverse. Um, he is returning, of course. He's the protagonist and the director of this film. Um, he is, there is a bit of a time skip. Uh, between Creed 2 and this film. I believe it's about five years or so. Not huge, but the point is he's supposed to be at the tail end of his athletic prime um, for the majority of the proceedings. Uh, we also have Tessa Thompson returning as Bianca, his his now wife. Uh, they, they both uh, got married and had a daughter uh, in the second film. 
Um, she, her hearing hasn't, it seems to still be there, although she is making extensive use of hearing aids, which was uh, an element of her character since the very first film. Although similar to him, uh, she's reached a point in her career where she is no longer performing as a singer. She's a musician. Um, she's merely, uh, ghostwriting other people's music and, and lyrics at this point. Um, and then the big one, uh, the one that Matt alluded to here, uh, is, uh, the man, formerly the man of the hour, uh, Jonathan Majors, uh, who plays Damian Anderson, uh, who is, I guess, our, uh, antagonist, although the movie is a little bit confused as to how they're trying to frame him at times. Um, but the reason I, I refer to him as formerly the man of the hour is in case you aren't aware, uh, Jonathan Majors, I believe had a, was it? like domestic abuse or domestic assault or something charge levied against him uh you know it's kind of all of the above um and there's a lot of moving parts to it because it's a very recent one yeah you know i i won't put myself out there to to comment on it at all, all allegedly is that, <laughs> uh all i know is that it's bad enough that like disney that's highly invested in this gentleman is starting to pull the plug on certain things and or start to explore plan B where possible. So that does not bode well. Yeah. Uh, so he has some serious criminal charges levied against him. Jonathan Majors does. And this all came about after the release of this film, which this film did extraordinarily well at the box office, by the way, uh, very encouraging for, you know, Michael B. Jordan's career as a director um, and also the health of this franchise, which is designed for the most part to seemingly end at the drop of a hat whenever it needs to seems like with the money they raked in not going to happen there's more than likely going to be a four and a five it, at least um but yeah jonathan majors went from being kang the conqueror and he was supposed to be the big bad he was being positioned to be the big bad uh, of the marvel cinematic universe uh that may be dashed to pieces at this point and then just within the like the past calendar year, he had no less than like three blockbuster films released like every three or four months. Like it was this was his coming out party kind of like this was the tail end of that. Um, so whatever he did, uh, he really torpedoed himself pretty badly. Um, but, you know, acting and art is one of those things that sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist. Uh, I have that capability. Not everybody does no offense to anybody who doesn't have that but for for his part i will say i found a lot of things to like in his ability as a performer a shit human being as far as we can tell but i didn't think he did a bad job in this film um and then we have uh, a fella that you are much more familiar with than i um who i believe you have an affinity for that's a wood harris as tony little duke evans matt uh, do you want to tell us how you know wood harris Oh, I, I know very little of him. He's always been kind of a that guy for me. I just love the fact that he's Little Duke for starters, because Duke is, quite frankly, one of my favorite Rocky verse characters of all time. The most passionate man in the history of film. <laughs> no, I, I just feel like he's he's all, he's a that guy. He's been in a ton of films that I like. I'm sure if I pull up his filmography, I can point out like a bunch of them that I need couldn't even recall that he was a part of but i feel like you know just a solid performer and you know i was super excited that he got the part of little duke but uh, not gonna lie i feel criminally underutilized uh throughout all of the creed movies thus far 
Yeah, in this one, it, it, it stuck out really bad, honestly. Um, I did actually watch the uh, deleted scenes on the on the Blu-ray for this one, and it's not a good scene because the writing's just not there, um, but there is a scene uh, immediately following the funeral that's it's just a dialogue scene, like a heart-to-heart between him and Adonis. That was like, oh, man, that the the words in the script for that scene just weren't there but that scene that moment needed to happen between those two characters because he is criminally underutilized in all of these but especially this one that i hate to say it does have a a rocky shaped hole in it uh for a lot of instances there's a there's a distinct lack of heart in this movie like the drama is there occasionally but it's not substantive enough or sustained enough like it 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 jumps around a little bit too much it needs it needs something else like that special sauce like some levity or some rocky balboaisms or something well you said it best i mean the part of the overall theme of the original rocky movies is if you're in a place long enough it becomes a part of you and that place is philadelphia and that movie and character perfectly embody that city well adonis Creed is from l.a and you can make a strong case as it's a very vapid, very aesthetically pleasing, but very lacking in many areas in terms of character and development. I mean, that, I don't know a better way to describe L.A. than, than that. I mean, unless you want to el- add some environmental element to it as well. But, you know, let's let's focus on what's actually apparent. And that that's my biggest criticism of this movie. It just feels hollow. Um, and it's very unfortunate because I think the guts are there. It, it just, and we'll, we'll dive into it. I mean, there's so many different avenues where this could have been the case, but, um, yeah, I, I have a couple of theories on where it could have gone wrong that I think that I would love to run by. Yeah. I have some of that, uh, on my end as well. Like th- I've, I was telling Matt, uh, before the mics heated up that I, this movie's been like a pet project for me since I saw it in the theater a few months ago, um, in March, uh, just because it, it like full disclosure, it's, it's all right. It's, I wouldn't say it's a great movie. Um, I, I would say Creed, the original Creed is fantastic. Creed two is very, very good. This one's just adequate. It's fine. It, it unfortunately it has the feel of an ordinary boxing movie, not a Rocky or a Creed boxing movie, which is which is a bit of an insult to the film. Uh, like I think it's harsh, but it's also accurate. I think what Matt said is accurate. Um, but yeah, I, I've had a lot of fun running running a lot of the scenarios presented in the movie through my head and and like trying to pick them apart and find ways to to make it more appealing to me personally because as matt said like the the guts are there the skeletons there but it it lacks heart and substance and it, it really does sink the thing uh, in a lot of ways but uh, just to round out the cast here uh, real quick uh, we have uh, mila davis kent as amara creed who is absolutely adorable uh, she has a wonderful screen presence uh, she is uh, deaf um, so all of her dialogue scenes are conducted via signing uh, using ASL. Um, and just the way she uses her face and her her energy on screen, she lights it up. Um, definitely seems like, I hate to say it, but it feels like a little MCUE where it's like, oh shit, are they going to do Creed Four, Lady Creed or something with this girl? Because she is, she is really, really good. But it's like, I don't know if we're ready for that just yet, man. Um, no, it, look... 
like I said, we're going to tear this movie apart and put, try to put it back together. And that, that's a huge jump off point for me. Like I honestly, this movie to me, my biggest criticism is, is the epitome of the negative aspects of the MCU impact on cinema Ah. um, in modern times, because so many of the flaws and so many of the areas that like bothered me on this are a direct result of things that have been clearly standardized within the industry for, um, you know, I would consider this to be like a borderline A tier movie. Like it, it's clearly has some major actors involved and even bigger people behind the scenes producing it. So, um, but a lot of the practices that went into this, I think, are the direct reason why uh, this movie just doesn't feel full it doesn't feel like a a truly heartfelt project so maybe that's a spoiler maybe we can jump into it we'll we'll let you play it by ear Trev. yeah i'd actually like like to elaborate on that a little bit because i think it's really important to point out just how many fucking mcu talent is in this film um that was a terrible sentence by the way i apologize (laughs) often whose camper they were whacking uh so we have uh michael b jordan uh, who is, of course, a cast member of the Black Panther films. Uh, Tessa Thompson, who is, of course, a cast member of the Thor films. Florian Montano, uh, Romania's finest. Florian Montano uh, is, of course, in Shang-Chi. Uh, you maybe didn't notice him, but he's the one-handed fella. And he does make it to the end credits. They don't kill him. <laughs> and I, there's probably more, honestly. Uh, but those are the big ones. Um, so we Jonathan have... Majors. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Jonathan Majors, who I, I kind of left him out because I'm like, I don't know if he's going to hang around. <laughs> Ryan Coogler, you know. Ryan Coogler directed both of the Black Panther films. So, yes, they, they share quite a lot of DNA. And, you know, those movies generally rake in a lot of money. So I, I, I feel like Matt is on to something here. But I'm curious, like more specifically, like like what you're alluding to here. So the biggest things that jump out to me are the fact that the MCU movies, the reasons that, uh, aside from the fact that like they've kind of have a formula for them and a place in nostalgia, all that fun stuff and bells and whistles, but the reason they're going to be popular and always attract those A-list actors is because they've developed a way to minimize the amount of time they need to be on set. This isn't like classic filmmaking where you know, folks have to rearrange their schedule and actually be on location for extended lengths of time. Like everything in MCU is green screen. Like we are very, very close to in theory, a lot of these scenes and or series being able to be filmed literally in just somebody's, you know, back office. Like we are on this podcast. Like if you have the green screen equipment and if it's just going to be a sequence where it's two characters talking to one another, there's absolutely no reason that Batista and Robert Downey Jr. can't be on two sides of the world just filming it at their leisure with minimal, you know, anything else put into it. Because, hell, you can even use filters for the makeup and stuff now. So that impact on filmmaking to where the priority isn't so much maximizing your time together as it is just kind of saying like well we'll get we will put in special effects where we can to cut down the length of time we need to shoot certain sequences we'll have a lot of sequences where we only need two characters here and there rather than whole groups and ensemble sequences and we'll just kind of edit it together and make it work and that to me is the biggest issue with it like 
you know, Tessa Thompson, I think, does a fantastic job with the limited amount she gets, but very much comes across like she flew into town for a day or two, knocked out her sequences and is gone, you know, and similar to, I mean, a lot of Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, I mean, they're the heart of it, but they have a lot of extended sequences where it's just the two of them, where it feels like they cleared out, you know, two weeks, they they filmed a ton of stuff, and then there's a few sequences here and there, but a lot of those like fight sequences that you see at the end, I mean, we'll really drill down on that because it's it's one of the worst parts of the movie for me in the finale. But um, but you know that really really bothers me when all of a sudden everything is clearly a green screen background because that means that they could do that whenever they wanted and certainly fit it in around whatever shooting calendar they had, which. You know, I get it's more efficient. It maximizes your ability to utilize your talent, but it you lose that rapport that's developed when you have people on set for an extended length of time, constantly working through things and workshopping and attempting things. That's like that sequence you described with Wood Harris um, at the funeral seems like a perfect example of something that clearly they didn't have enough time to be able to try multiple takes to get it right. They tried it like twice, said, hey, go riff, which I feel like is is another thing from the MCU now where it's like, just go riff, see what happens, and we'll use the best take rather than, you know, rehearse, rather than practice, rather than taking a couple hours and smoke break to discuss, you know, hey, what if we do this this time? Or how about I try to, you know, instead it's just flat out, like, just give us our, your best take three times, cut, and then we're done. So that to me is really the biggest flaw with this is I feel like they had so much of that in place of just being like, we have a very strict schedule. We're just going to stick to it. And that's that. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent with everything Matt just said. I've carried those sentiments with me for a long time. Um, uh, actually there, it's funny. There was a, a, a Netflix ad recently uh, for the, for the show Fubar, uh, for Fubar, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger show. Um, and they did like a, a like a one-two punch double advertisement uh, for Extraction Two, uh, which is the Chris Hemsworth uh, headlining uh, action film that's dropping on Netflix very very soon. And uh, somebody commented on the video, "That was great. Would have been even better if they were in the same room together for even a second, uh, because very clearly they're the the way they shoot it, it's meant to look like they're both standing in an elevator together, but." Obviously, they weren't because Chris Hemsworth is probably in Australia or some shit, and Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger is probably in L.A. or something. Um, and yeah, I've I've long been keeping that in, back in my mind about something that I I think of it as like the scheduling war, where it feel it there's I have this like tinfoil hat theory in the back of my mind that there's a lot of extraordinarily talented behind the scenes crew members for film productions that are having their calendars completely consumed by studios largely for the purpose of keeping them away from other studios um and then on top of that you have what matt was saying about how despite dealing with excuse me 75 million dollars of budget the way they shoot a lot of these movies these days is is like really asinine and and borderline inhuman where it really is set at this breakneck pace where it's just like, we have Robert Downey Jr. for an hour and you, you get what you get and then we'll fix it in post. And if we can't fix it in post, then 
we'll fix it in post <laughs> with another layer of post, essentially. We'll just keep slapping Elmer's glue on it until it becomes a movie. Uh, it doesn't have to be good. Um, and yeah, you do see that uh, in a lot of aspects of this film where, as Matt was saying, that scene with Wood Harris is a fine example of something that potentially could have been workshopped or figured out if they had many days or extra hours to just have the actors do some of that acting shit and work with the screenwriter um, on the set. Um, funny enough, uh, Kyle and I just reviewed uh, John Woo's Hard Boiled uh, the other day, uh, which is from the early 90s. It's a Hong Kong production. They play by a different rules over there um but that's that's neither here nor there the, the point that i'm trying to drive to here is that the finale of that movie the action finale in the hospital in that film took 40 days to shoot it, they the cast and crew because chow yun fat and tony leung did quite a lot of their own stunt work in that film everybody director cast crew were stuck in that warehouse set do, like setting up pyrotechnics for 40 fucking days <laughs> like you, you probably get a little bit, you know, slap happy or stir crazy doing it that way. But there is an artistry that emerges from that process that when when you have not only f no less than four major Marvel Cinematic Universe acting talents in your production, a first time director who I have to assume is potentially being bullied by producers, because if I was a producer, that's what I would do. Hire somebody young and dumb and, you know whisper in their ear constantly and then on top of that you have to deal with michael b jordan and jonathan majors as fucking cycles <laughs> so you have to film around that that determines your filming schedule how cut can jonathan majors get by the time we get to shooting and for how long can he retain that oh excuse five minutes <laughs> you have five minutes to shoot all of his shirtless scenes i'm sorry <laughs> so yeah I, there is a lot of messiness in this film that doesn't feel like straight up like incompetence. It feels like just uh, symptomatic of the way the film was probably put together. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to dunk on Michael B. Jordan here. I actually think that, like, again, for being his first effort, like, I think that, you know, there there's a lot of potential. I think, if, if anything, and this isn't a criticism, is I think the secondary issue I have with it is, to me, it doesn't feel like, and th this is going back to, we were talking about Stallone and how, you know, much this franchise, the Rocky franchise meant to him to the point where he even went back and re-edited Rocky four, which is one of the most hilarious music videos of all time into like an actual movie movie, I think out of spite for realizing he was going to, you know, be cut out of the Rocky verse altogether. But, but that's somebody that those movies embody him there. There's literally a piece of him in each of them, you know, good and bad, <laughs> but I don't get the sense that Michael B. Jordan has that same relationship with Adonis Creed. I mean, I feel like he's actually, if anything, at the point where he's outgrown it and is super excited to get out of that contract to move on to bigger and better things. Cause he's destined for him. He's a very talented actor, and I think he does have an eye as a director to potentially evolve into something. I just don't think that this character means as much to him, and I think that a lot of that shows in just kind of the handling of some of these sequences that had he actually been fully invested in all of the backstory on this character, I think that he would have given certain thing more strength. 
And instead, I think he just made it a very standard popcorn fare, which, look, it made a shit ton of money off a pretty modest budget for an A-list movie. So he did something right. But to me, it really, really, there are a lot of sequences where it just did not feel like, you know, he was really playing something that means something to him. This feels like it's it's a footnote in a very bright future ahead. Yeah, actually, I would agree that there there are there is evidence to suggest that he has some talent as a director. There's there's some shot choices. There's some acting moments that you can tell that he he really sat down and he talked it out, especially with Jonathan Majors and and found a good way to to work through a lot of these dialogue scenes and pull the correct meaning uh, from some of these scenes. But a, a lot of this movie, to me, structurally, uh, most of my complaints, if not all of them, uh, largely occur in the second half of the film. Um, up to that point, I, I was kind of on board. I, I, I've seen this movie at least twice now, and I maintain that, that it's good up to a certain point, and then structurally, is that's the big problem, is that something, it, feel, it feels like somebody pulled a brick out of the Jenga tower or something, like the wrong brick, where it's like, whoa, how did we get here so fast? Like, like I feel like there's scenes missing, and they probably fucking are. Um, but uh, speaking of the character of Adonis Creed, um, Matt mentioned that he feels that uh, Michael B. Jordan just doesn't have the same raw connection to the character and i I do kind of get that because the the way the character is positioned in this one is very strange it it feels like we're in a holding pattern with him which should not be in the third chapter no less the 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 third chapter in a story that is now missing a major co-star character a mentor figure to the character that should hold significance for one thing um in fact the the I'm I'm bouncing around, Matt. I'm, I'm I apologize. I have too many thoughts running parallel to each other right now. But the the absence of Rocky Balboa is grossly apparent in at least two or three instances in this movie. One uh, that that came to mind just now is there's there's a shot the first time we meet adult Adonis Creed in this movie. There's a scene when he's about to get off his stool for the second round of a fight. And it's just this long shot where he's just kind of like looking over both of his shoulders at nothing in particular. And it's like, I wonder if maybe there was a plan to have somebody there that he's, you know, making eye contact with or like giving the high sign to or something. It's like his wife's there, but we don't cut to her. Like they don't show her. It's just this weird shot of him alone. Um, and then the other, the huge one is where we have a, a disgusting 80 yard line. Uh, where Adonis Creed is mentoring uh, Felix Chavez, uh, the current heavyweight champion who he's now managing, and he says, it ain't about how hard you can hit, it's about focus and coordination. <laughs> it's like, it's, I want to say maybe Stallone threatened a suit or something, because very clearly he was setting up a quote from Rocky Balboa, the sixth Rocky film, where he says it ain't about how hard you can hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward, aka one of the best fucking motivational speeches in all of modern cinema. But they cut away and they show like they they go from him saying half of that line on screen to showing the opposite angle and having an 80-yard finish to that line. And I wanna say that maybe Stallone threatened suit and he was like that line 
that quote comes from my movie and they they quote they quote some of the things he said in the creed movies not so much the rocky movies and that, that was really nasty and then the the third instance that comes to mind is uh the funeral uh rocky probably should have been at that funeral like that just feels really strange especially when if you're gonna have a franchise that is this many chapters long symmetry is one of those beautiful things that you you know it is fan servicey but it is a benefit of having such a long history to your property is that you can do that you can create meaningful symmetry across multiple chapters this one has some potential had some potential to explore some of that being as it's the third chapter um, and you could have done some parallels uh, with those stories or something but you know rocky balboa was was at apollo's funeral and he supposedly was friendly with apollo's wife in the intervening years for the most part they did lose track of each other but as we knew him in creed and creed 2 they were friendly with each other it stands to reason he would be there um, especially to support somebody who calls him uncle <laughs> it's like, it just felt felt weird but uh, to bring things to put the lens back on a uh, on Donnie on Adonis it it feels like maybe there was a a lot of this movie f- feels this way but it feels like two steps forward one step back where it's like we're starting to have interesting breakthroughs with the character we're starting to add it like interesting wrinkles to this character but then for some reason we backpedal on that and we restore him to like good guy superhero status like like goody goody vanilla hero kind of status when it's like that's not donnie like donnie's petulant he like he's a punk sometimes like in creed and creed 2 he he has outbursts he's a brat um and this one he kind of does that but they don't for as serious as this movie tries to be at times they absolutely are not they're completely unwilling to let him take it to to a truly dark place or an interesting place well yeah you're absolutely right and uh, you know we'll dive into that a bit later on on certain you know different takes they could have gone with but you're right like it, it was such an I think the two steps forward one step back is perfect because like even the way the movie begins like it's so funky to me because so much of what I thought made Adonis Creed such a compelling character is the fact that he didn't need any of this shit like he was already a wealthy individual and successful in his own right on top of being an amazing athlete like but he was motivated to do that because of all this burning stuff inside of him and that's what's so difficult with the end of Creed 2 is it's kind of like once he's achieved success on top of that like what more is there even for him And that's where it's kind of frustrating diving into this one where it's like he's already prepared to retire because he really doesn't need it. Like he doesn't need the money. He doesn't need the glory. He has a beautiful family. Like why would he go out and put him, make it turn himself into hamburger versus, you know, again, I I hate to always make the parallel to Rocky Balboa, even though it's inevitable because it's another franchise, but, but that's a character who it's always reminds you that like he he knows what he has to lose constantly and you're constantly reminded of that because he does lose it you know towards the later movies like in really stupid fashion arguably but but it, it kind of is that's the motivation is always like look i had this my was breaking thumbs in the first movie and now i live in a giant mansion you know with 
you know, robot attendants and what have you. So it, 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 because he had that compelling backstory to him, you know, it is understandable why he can't let it go with Adonis. It's tough because he's in this weird spot where it's like, okay, well, you really don't need any of that. And, and they try to harken back to like, you know, no, no, he, he grew up in the orphanage, remember, and he was adopted and all that, which very awesome backstory for this character, super compelling and made for really rich experience in the first movie to kind of harken back to it though. Like in this one, it, it just comes across as funky because all of a sudden now it's like, no, no, that that's buried so far in the past. Like the fact that you never even brought it up to his wife and all that, like, it, and I, this leads me into, I guess, another area of criticism I have, which is that I feel like they had a difficulty with deciding what they were going to do with Diamond Dame's character in terms of presenting him as a true antagonist. Yeah. Because Rocky antagonists are supposed to be big, stupid, cartoony villains where it's pretty easy to root against them. Like some of them you kind of, you know, grow to to enjoy with time. But this was a character that should have been like more clubber lang. And instead he becomes across as this weird sort of Tommy Gunn, sort of like Apollo Creed, like again they they can't pinpoint they always kind of like back they go forward with him being like this awful terrible irredeemable human being to also making him this supremely like sympathetic character to where like you you feel so awful for him you want to see him supported and they couldn't decide which direction to run with it and they end up kind of with this weird kind of borderline neutral end to it all so tell me what do you think about that how they handled um diamond dame's character in this one so this is probably going to be a lengthy portion of this discussion uh, because i do find the character compelling but probably too compelling honestly for a rocky movie (laughs) that's actually kind of the problem uh, is that what matt said is largely true Uh, a lot of times i've always maintained that the first rocky movie is about rocky the human being and then most of the sequels, most of them, not so much Rocky Balboa, but most of the intervening sequels are about what Rocky is doing or, or what obstacles are now placed in front of him and how he deals with them or overcomes them. And as a result, a lot of the, quote, antagonists uh, in his movies tend, it's not terribly important who they are, it's what they represent. Clubber Lang is the young, hungry upstart who attacks him at a moment of weakness and humbles him. Therefore, he is a a projection of his insecurities. Therefore, he must conquer him. And he does in what I think is maybe my favorite Rocky movie. (laughs) And then Rocky IV, of course, is communism. (laughs) It's it's just Ivan Drago is communism. He's the USSR. It doesn't matter. In fact, it's better that he's a robot because he's representative of the the homogenization that, you know, oftentimes is associated with communism and whatnot. Um, And in this one, though, we have a situation that everything is wrestling, Matt. You can appreciate this, and this is why I love talking with you, is that not everybody can appreciate my wrestle talk. But in wrestling, dear listeners, uh, if you're not familiar, there are terms called faces and heels. Uh, And traditionally... Uh, a face versus face match was a no-no. That was just not a thing you did, especially as like the headlining contest on a card or something, because it's confusing. 
because you don't want to confuse your mouth-breathing wrestling fan audience by having them not certain as to who they should be cheering for. It's You have a face and you have a heel because it's convenient. White hat, black hat. It's easy that way. And it's novel. I've seen I've seen I've seen face versus face matches in movies many times that work out beautifully. In fact, there's a boxing movie that I actually somehow convinced Kyle to watch and review with me called Crying Fist. Uh, that is an, a fantastic fucking movie. It's completely underseen, but the whole spin, the whole gimmick of that movie is that you have two protagonists who are given equal screen time uh, who converge at the very end of the movie to punch the fuck out of each other in a boxing match and when you enter that match you as the viewer are having that face versus face conflict where you're like oh god my kids are fighting (laughs) but it's it's high drama at that point because you've had equal screen time with both of them and you've grown to appreciate both of them in their own right completely separate from each other they have zero beef with each other going into that fight and that's why it works um Whereas in this movie, I don't know if it's the quality of Jonathan Majors' performance or the way they framed him or something about the script, but at times he is too sympathetic. And Adonis Creed, unfortunately, is kind of flat in this movie for the most part. For So in terms of like high drama, what we mostly get is flashbacks and, and Jonathan Majors carrying the majority of the weight. Um, and it's it's very frustrating. Uh, the way it plays out. And I think Matt's right that maybe that was a struggle with the writing of the film, is that somebody probably fell in love with this character and the concept of this character, and I understand why, because he is a compelling character, but putting him in this particular story grossly complicates things in unsatisfying ways. Uh, it, I, I'm struggling to find the words to carry on this thought, but maybe you can pick it up, Matt. <laughs> No, it's look. He's he actually is so good. Like again, probably a piece of shit. You know, I'm ready to write him off as a piece of shit. But he's so good when you're introduced to him. Um, when you you see him as an adult, I should say, of conveying just that character of somebody that you have sympathy for, but you just know he's gonna fuck you over, and he does it so well. Like. You know, we're both adult. We're both getting up there. I'm in my 40s. I can tell you, I've encountered people like this in my lifetime, and, and he perfectly captures that energy of just that shiftiness, that like kind of like really, really kind of every step of the way. You can tell he's asking for a little more, a little more, but he's never going to tell you outright, "I want everything," until you're actually emotionally invested. At that point, it's going to piss you off. He, he does it perfectly. The problem with it is, like I said, I think it would have been so much better. It's clumsy because it comes across so awkward. Essentially, you're introduced to him. He he comes into the sequence, says like, hey, I deserve this because I was robbed of 18 years of my life. You know, okay, I get that's very sympathetic. And, you know, of course, Adonis, with all his, you know, established privilege from being the heavyweight champion of the world can help, you know, at the very least get him off his feet and get him into the gym and all that. But then it just creates this awkward dynamic where all of a sudden he's supposed to be fighting for the world championship, even though he doesn't even have like a record. And that just, A, that doesn't happen. No. B, it was so awkward because I remember my wife leans over when the sequence is playing out. And she goes, who the hell is Adonis rooting for here? 
It's like, here's his childhood friend that he's helping train in the gym with, mind you, in the same gym with the heavyweight champion of the world who's taken this role from Adonis, or at least it's a different belt from what the ones Adonis held. They're training in the same house. Um, Jonathan Majors, you know, Diamond Dame, has been to Adonis's house to have dinner and met his child and his wife and everything. What the hell is going on here? Like, who's he invested in seeing win this fight? Because now he's transitioning to promotion. So, like, who does he really want to see win? He ends up getting pissed because his, like, title holder guy loses. But, again, why would you ever sign off to that? And why would you be promoting both guys simultaneously when you have so much to potentially lose here? Yeah, uh, to pivot away from from Dame, uh, Damien, for a second the character of felix felix is given a lot of screen time he's given a lot of hype in the middle of this movie and it's like for who and for what <laughs> like that was unfortunately my feeling um but yeah the, the way that that sequence is set up is like they're doing a, an obvious allusion to they even say it like in the script it's in the script they're it's a, a replay essentially of the million to one shot that Rocky Balboa got against Apollo Creed. So I guess they're saying that there's precedence uh, for uh, a relative unknown uh, challenging for the title. I'm sorry though, you, you need a license to turn professional. Uh, and based on uh, the way a lot <laughs> the way a lot of licensing departments function, I don't know if you could get that in four weeks, even if you even if you grease some palms. <laughs> so one, he has to get licensed, and two, he has to get cleared by doctors, and three, there's probably a lot of investors who are probably looking at a guy with a zero and zero record who's 36 years old challenging for the heavyweight, undisputed heavyweight championship, and just being like, fuck no. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, the absurdity of the contest coming together that way is a little bit humorous. Well, and that's where I'm saying, like, why didn't you go more of the Clever Lang era where like because i do love that dynamic it's like you have adonis creed who has the best of you know training he has the best you know equipment he has all of that and then you know that was the clever lang was like i just push you know pick up bricks and do tons of sit-ups and just do the classic like you know workout and that's what makes me stronger and obviously in this case it's you know dame coming straight out of prison that's what's kept him in shape and all that kept him hungry that's why he's more motivated so why didn't you just do it as like the clever lang story where he's just he has a record he's been fighting he's been out of jail for a while he just hasn't reconnected with Donnie and Donnie's so far removed from because he's the heavyweight champion of the world preparing to retire, has a family, has a wife, has, you know, everything he could ask for and living the, the L.A. lifestyle. Of course, he wouldn't have this guy on his radar. So that could be that sentence where it's like, no, he's actually been working his way up the ranks. He could even have that chip on his shoulder, even of saying, like, why don't you reach out, man? How come you weren't available to like help boost me along? Cause like, here I am 36 doing my thing, trying, and you're out there, you know, living the jet saying lifestyle and not caring about me. Like it, it could have been done so easily and it wouldn't have even cost anything. You don't need to have like a big flashback. You don't need to have anything like, but it, it just, they just skip over all of that and instead make for this really awkward dynamic where it's like, hey man, I just came into your life. Can I have a shot at the heavyweight title? Yeah, it seems like a good idea because Ivan Drago's son just got attacked with some 
person at a CD release party and broke his hand. So yeah, you seem like the natural next person in line. Yeah, Matt's absolutely right. And in fact, he's he's pressing too many buttons. My brain is is like on fire with too many different ideas here. So I'll I'll try my best to make sure I hit all of them. Um, but one, yeah, it it's weird. It's awkward. Um, and just to very quickly cover it, um, we have a situation where kind of similar to Rocky Three, although it's via proxy in the form of someone other than the main character of the movie getting defeated and dethroned, and then the quote antagonist of the film uh, gaining the heavyweight championship. What that does is like, okay, you you have a situation where we get a later reveal um, that there were shenanigans involved in terms of getting him to the dance, uh, which obviously would piss off Adonis. So you have a little bit of drama there. It's kind of a few degrees separated, a few Kevin Bacons removed from the the one-to-one drama that would probably be a lot more meaty, as Matt had, had referenced there. Like if you did have a situation where we salted those wounds a little bit more, more explicitly, more directly. Um, But what that does is it makes this weird scenario where it's like, by the time you get to the end of this movie, I I don't even really know why we're fighting, honestly. In fact, we have a lot of, we have actual dialogue pointing to the fact that they probably shouldn't be fighting. Um, And they're like, just to pump the brakes on that, I, I will say that, I'm, I'm not an idiot. I, I am aware that there's a lot of themes about masculinity, in, in particular black masculinity in this film, uh, that we are exploring in this film somewhat capably. Um, so I, I get it. They're, like the, I will say this much, that the conversation in the locker room post-fight kind of does make up for quite a lot. Not everything, but it is, it is nice. Um, that scene needed to be there. Uh, the movie would not have worked even a little bit if that wasn't there. <laughs> Um, but the thing that really fucks with my brain right now is that, so hang on, we have a situation where you're kind of mad at your childhood friend because he beat up your client and now you're going to quote, they never say this, but it's like it, you're, you're taking revenge for your client who is in, in attendance in the fight at the end. How do you think that guy, the young former heavyweight champion of the world feels watching his promoter win the title on his behalf like what does that accomplish i'll tell you absolutely nothing (laughs) well and it's even more funky because like you know the whole reason that adonis has this connection to dame is because dame you know help came and uh basically took the heat for adonis attacking a gentleman who had beat him while he was in orphanage and um you know again that's in that realm where it's like that probably could have gone darker i get it it's it's the rocky verse so it doesn't need to get into as dark as that could have but they very much the acting alluded to that that was intended to be even more dark that whole concept of the abuse that adonis experienced but the sequence that plays out in the beginning is that he beats this this guy up and then dame comes and pulls a gun while you know the fight is getting broken up then the police arrive and that's when adonis runs away and leaves him to take the rap and i get it like it's that whole like i feel like i was owed this because i was on my way towards something then you had to go and do this which caused this whole issue so i feel you know that's dame's motivation for wanting to kind of snuff out 
what joy <laughs> Adonis expresses to him and, and kind of be like, no, I want everything you have and more kind of deal. So like, but it's done so awkwardly in the sense where it didn't even need that. Like, like you could have honestly even had it be like, you know, just a sequence where he just pummeled that guy out for Adon on Adonis's behalf in the thing. And that's what led to him being incarcerated. And, you know, it totally would have been one of those things that the person that Adonis left behind that is always indebted to because he was the one who stepped up and did this thing that he couldn't bring himself to do and thus would give the motivation for him now all of a sudden being out of jail, being super pissed at Adonis, be gunning for him, be talking shit on ESPN and all these different social media sources, which, by the way, is something that I feel like they also kind of could have played up a bit more because... There were some sequences where they alluded to like, oh, that's who he is. That's how he's building his brand, but really kind of fell short of of really embracing like this is the modern world. This is what this guy would be like if all of a sudden he goes from zero having to wipe, clean his socks with his bare hands in a shitty hotel room to I just made $50 million because I won the heavyweight title with zero pro record <laughs> overnight. So um but again, it's like, why don't you have it be something like along those that gives them an actual need to go and settle it in the ring? Give them a reason to be freaking furious at each other and have it be the cathartic experience that you develop in all of the Rocky films, which is why I think aside from him pummeling Tommy Gunn in an alley, like almost none of his opponents he actually leaves hating despite everything leading up to it. And that's because of that whole concept of boxing. The thing that makes boxing beautiful is two men stuck in a ring, pushing themselves to the furthest limit they could possibly go. One of them coming out victorious, ideally, um, unless it goes to the cards and there's a chance for a bigger payday down the road, but <laughs> should be in theory resolved with the better man winning. But you, the better man would never tell you is the better man because the first thing he's going to want to do is embrace the guy that he shared that experience with. So we don't get that with this. Instead, we get this really clumsy, awkward thing where it's like on one end, it's like, hey, man, you're my brother. On the other end, it's like, hey, man, I hate your guts. And I feel like I was owed everything that you had and more. So really, really fell short in a lot of areas there. Yeah, I, the, the big thing that I keep coming back to is what we talked about a little bit earlier about just the and you kind of mentioned it here is that the the beef between the two characters because of what we're doing from a thematic standpoint about two two characters who in in the current state of of modern masculinity lack the tools to express themselves like verbally or emotionally have to resort to hitting each other in the face for 12 rounds before they can have a civil conversation and and a simple apology that serves as the actual resolution for the conflict i do think that that is fascinating um, the 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 road up to that though, is is not satisfying. That 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 idea that idea and that resolution to me is actually legitimately interesting, and decently explored. But in terms of narrative engagement, you I'm sorry, you do have to find an excuse for the two guys to hate each other or have some reason to to like have some sort of ferocious anger towards each other to to make it make sense for them to get there. So how about you do this instead? Yeah. How about you have remove Felix altogether? It's a useless character. <laughs> I'm and sorry, really Felix, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no, Felix, we're kicking the kicking aside. Yeah. And 
Adonis Creed has the belts. He's talking about retirement, but he's still fighting. But he's also at the wind now of his career where he's already, you know, the film literally starts with him fighting the opponent from the first film, which is essentially suggesting that, like, hey, there's not much going on in the heavyweight division. So, like, when you're having to resort to... Just to pause you real quick. Second round, instant KO. That feels like you're kind of shitting on, on Ricky Conlon. Ricky Conlon, who took him the distance and beat him in the first film. He did... I guess he did tell him you're the future of this division. Not for long, though. He would move up and wait. <laughs> um, because we need him to fight a big, giant Russian guy, and he's only available at heavyweight. Um, that felt weird to me, where it's like, man, why you got shit on Ricky Conlon like that? I, gu- I guess it's symbolic of like the leveling up that he's done in years since. But... I wasn't uh, I wasn't upset by it. It's just an observation where it's like, damn, he smoked him. <laughs> That's horrible. Like, if I paid for that pay-per-view, I'd be kind of pissed. <laughs> no, I, I I agree, but I also think, like I said, like I think that that kind of could be in line with like what they did with the Rocky Balboa movie, you know, Rocky Six, where you know Antonio Tarver's character is that's kind of his whole thing it's like i've just beat everyone there's nothing going on here for me so i have nothing to do but just either pummel chumps or let myself go to you know get fat because why wouldn't i like there's no incentive for me to work hard here or so you could have set it up to that way because i think it does at the very least suggest that it's like look he's obviously mastered the graph now he's a worthy champion it's no longer a nepo case this is 100 percent like hard work dedication pure you know any established success yeah so you're right it's super awkward in the sense that it's like did he just wipe the bad guy out from the first movie in like two punches yeah he did (laughs) but i get at least you're saying like look he he's the true thing he's he's established himself in his own right okay so i think that's important what you could have done then, though, is you make it be kind of that scenario where it's like, okay, he's at the line now. He really doesn't have a future opponent set. Anybody he's going to set, he knows like he could probably take pretty easily. So he's probably floating the idea of retirement, you know, or taking some, you know, less challenging fights for the quick payday. I mean, if you really want to cover the sport of boxing, you could even throw those in there. But and that presents itself to be the case where it's like all of a sudden emerges this character dame you know it's like i've never heard of this guy how come he's undefeated how come he's been on this hot streak and he's fighting all over the world not in the u.s not in major sanctions but he's fighting all these smaller countries where he can get a fight on short notice and continue to build up the ranks oh do a little research oh he had this oh he had that then you have that big reveal when they finally like meet you know it doesn't have it maybe doesn't carry the same weight as the diner confrontation they have, or because I do again think that that really highlighted Jonathan Majors playing a fantastic character and the character they intended for the movie. But why don't you just have them casually meet, like say, like, hey, Adonis says, I'm gonna go scout this guy. I'm gonna see what he's all about. You know, he's fighting. He clearly is somebody that I should be interested in because, at the very least, maybe I can promote him when I step away from boxing or. That's when you get the big reveal. Hey, man, remember that thing? Remember the kid who pummeled that dude who beat your ass when you were a kid? Yeah, that that's me, you know, and here I am, and I'm coming for you. Sets the stage. Do the, but then you do it just like, again, paying homage to the Rocky Three with the Mickey, and, you know, you have his mom in attendance. Yeah. You have him getting rocked by this Dame guy because Dame does all his shady, you know, 
I, I get it. You could never fight that way because you'd break your damn hand. <laughs> but but he does all those awkward like you know holds and knees and, and punching you in the shoulder to your arm dies thing, and he's pummeling him. And say Donnie's mom starts getting flashbacks of seeing Apollo Creed in the ring getting pummeled by Drago. And that's what sets off the, the major stroke. That's what puts her, you know, puts her in, in the ground, unfortunately. That's what leads to the big funeral. That's what leads to the, the talk with Duke. That's what drives him to want to do everything in his power to absolutely destroy Dame. But in the course of that, it also pays homage to the fact that it's like this guy didn't do anything wrong he's just a very hungry fighter who's coming from nothing that felt like he was owed that because he would have accomplished all those things had he not had to go to jail and arguably on donnie's behalf gets you all that stuff makes sense leading up to it it's a little too dark again like i said i get the rocky doesn't tend to skew that part but they did have the moment where she you know his mom before she passes thinks he's apollo and that's, you could do that same exact sequence with what I'm describing. And it would give him every reason why I do it. And it would give him that whole like champion coming back, which is always the rallying cry of the Rocky movies. Like it's when he's having to fight from behind again. So, and he would still be considered a solid fighter because he'd only have what, two losses on his total record as a result? Yeah. Maybe three? Yeah. No, uh, I, th- I think... I think a, a big thing would be placing the death of the mother earlier in the film. I think that would, I think that would space things out in a more satisfying way. Um, I suspect that maybe they didn't go that route because they were trying to do some slippery stuff of willfully attempting to not do what had been done before, uh, because that is very close to Rocky Three. So I understand that, but everything you just said sounds a lot more just satisfying and engaging uh, than what we got um because so because like the the main thing that really uh really jumped out at me about like the frustrating aspect of this movie is that because we have this theme of of these two characters lacking the ability to actually sit down and talk to each other and tell tell each other how they feel um it it almost like hamstrings the movie uh, because it results in characters who can't do those things until the end of the movie in order for it to have a payoff. And so it leads to a lot of just kind of like putzing around, not really addressing anything. And what's more, the, the conflict in this movie feels like like it shouldn't be a boxing movie because the I've, I've maintained this since I first saw the movie that, that the sport of box, it's a sport and you are limited in, in what things you can do to one another. There are rules, there's a referee in the ring, and what's more, it's in your best interest to avoid conflict with one another until you get in the ring. And so when we have scenes where Damien is saying lines for the trailer that sound good, like, I'm coming for it all, it's like, for what? <laughs> like, you touch me, I'll sue. <laughs> like, to, to quote George Washington Duke, Touch me and I'll sue. He could have sued him right then and there. <laughs> I was going to say, that was one of my, in the social media era we live in, that was one of the worst sequences to me because not only do you have a former champion, Adonis Creed, 
walk onto the beach and immediately punch some random dude who like basically just comes up and is like, Hey man, I was where are you going? He just knocks him out. But then having the new current champ knock him out and not a single person had a cell phone camera at a beach party in LA. Like it, there's no freaking way, but yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Like it was just like, when I think of like another like boxing movie that like, you know, I wouldn't put into the Rocky category, but I and found in many ways more enjoyable than this one, Southpaw, <laughs> where, you know, very similar to in this one, like the whole reason Dame gets his shot is because of all the shady stuff he pulls with Drago's hand when Southpaw, the guy literally loses his wife as a result of some really, you know, trashy stuff that occurs between him and a contender and, and the, uh, one of the you know idiot hand or guys is gets involved and shoots a gun and that's and it, it's very well established in the movie that like the, the actual person he's gonna fight the boxer like it didn't have anything to do with it it was just somebody who happened to be a part of his group but but that's a case where it's like look it, the guy's wife died as a result and and you know that's a motivation for him wanting to do it but he also doesn't have the animosity to like want to murder the person outside the ring it's like i just need to do this to cleanse myself here this like that thing with drago just really really bothered me because that was like literally the only thing that like actually makes damien evil like everything else it's like kind of you get it like i get they made him too sympathetic and yeah like he's a little fights a little greasy or whatever but again he's 36 he doesn't have you know the speed or whatever and probably not the stamina so why wouldn't he do something like that especially if you're given a one a million shot at the title, but to also have on top of that, he's got this criminal mastermind element where he's willing to pay some guy off to go break the hand of another former champion, another international former champion. <laughs> like that, that's where it gets a little funky and a little cartoony in the worst possible way. Yeah. It, it feels like, like, a I don't know, like a a Netflix show or something, like some sort of white collar drama or like like I don't know, mogul story or something. Like it feels like the shady side of the music industry or something, some kind of story like that. Um, which I'm sure there's a lot of shows currently airing that are exactly that and probably have scenes exactly like that. But that that criminal mastermind business felt very unwelcome. I chose to believe that that wasn't the plan like that wasn't plan a that was plan b like plan a was to simply ask and plan b was like an accelerated version of plan a you know paying off a former criminal buddy uh to do that deed but it it, i i am choosing to believe that that's the case but upon watching the movie a second time unfortunately i don't i don't think so and that that is a weird that's a very weird element of the script that is clunky and slightly embarrassing um but yeah the i'm coming for it all thing like didn't sit well with me where it's like i don't know what that means like that sounds great in the trailer but it's like unless you get him into the ring what like when i heard that i was like thinking like potential scenarios for what that could entail in in the social media age it's like are you gonna shannon briggs his ass (laughs) <laughs> like are you gonna buzz by adonis creed on a jet ski and say let's go champ let's go champ are you gonna stand outside his bel-air mansion and scream at the window let's go champ at three in the morning 
Yeah, and if you are going to fight on the beach, at least like have the dignity to do like a Trevor Burbick, Larry Holmes out and like, <laughs> the drop do kick? a flying double drop kick <laughs> off of a car. <laughs> like, Folks at home, if you're not aware, that is one of the most amazing instances in, in all of boxing history. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it, for you wrestling fans who maybe you're tuning in it's like jeff hardy's antics in a steel cage right below larry holmes leaping off of a, a car and tops of my tier of youtube crap i watch before i fall asleep uh, i gotta pull up that clip and play over but yeah no, was, but oh, that, go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say that that criminal mastermind moment was the part where it lost me yeah. like all of the other stuff, like I said, I get it. It's, it's a new director. It's following a formula. And I agree with you 110% that like some of these decisions are saying like, how can we pay homage to the stuff that came before, but also clearly cement that this is its own character. This is not Rocky Balboa. This is Adonis Creed and we're building his legacy here. I do think that they overthought uh, Damien's character a bit. And I, you know, to be honest, I think that actually might even be the influence of Kugler a bit, who I know uh, he wasn't directly involved. I, I'm sure he gets some producer credit. Probably. His brother wrote it. But that's what I was going to say. I saw a lot of Kugler names tied to this, <laughs> not Ryan. Yeah. So, um, but I got a lot of that too in, in Black Panther with uh, Killmonger too. Yeah. Like there was some awkwardness where it's like they didn't want to fully commit to making him like, kind of the evil character he was like he did a lot of heinous shit that's but, the uh that's the mcu-ness creeping in there that a lot of people have been saying for a long time that uh, i've been saying that uh every character has the potential to be someone's favorite and as such especially in superhero movies it, it's pretty commonplace to see to to leave the door open just a just a crack for every character to be a little bit likable like be it Thanos or Kang or you know Ultron or whatever, it's like they usually have just that. Or Loki's the prototypical example where it's like he's he's the whoopee. He's he's unfortunate. He's kind of emo. He's a little shit. You still kind of love him. He got his own TV show. It's probably getting a second season. And and yeah, Killmonger definitely has that. Where it's like he does a lot of really heinous shit in that movie. He's definitely the most popular character probably from that movie though. Yeah, and. You're absolutely right. Again, it, it goes back to that that MCU influence that I think they just it, it overdeveloped him to the point where it was hard to get any sort of sense of like, what am I supposed to feel for this? Well, even this in moment? in terms of the direction, they kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Where by the time we get to the the actual fight at the end of the movie, the big fight at the end of the movie, um, the the shot choices and the edits they make surrounding his character are intensely sympathetic like there's the 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 biggest example the most obvious example is when they're sitting on the stools looking across at each other jonathan majors is acting the shit out of that moment and he is in tears like he's flexing his muscle he's gritting his teeth but he is in anguish michael b jordan not so much he looks a lot less conflicted honestly um and then uh, there's also like at least one part where he clinches and there's like almost a bit of hesitation where it's like that doesn't look like a rest clinch that doesn't look like a strategic clinch that looks like i want to stop hitting my friend clinch 
Um, I, I've seen it in real life. That's kind of what it looks like, where it's like, I just want you to stop right now. And the, the way that they shoot him, the way that they edit that, I'm sorry, but that's how I read that. Um, and then to, to like, uh, this isn't the end of the discussion, but just because I'm on the same track, I'll also point out um, that upon my most recent watching, I couldn't help but notice in the choreography, this this feels like a gross oversight that somebody maybe should have taken a, taken a second glance at in the editing room. The way the the way the 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 final blow of the fight uh, is is achieved is Adonis Creed breaks a clinch by shoving his friend away. They're they're in they're locked in essentially an embrace, and he pushes him away, and then he beats the fuck out of him, and it's like oh that's our hero. It's like your brother was trying to hug you, and you you just pushed him away so you could beat the fuck out of him. Uh, kind of reminded me of a uh, warrior in that way just a little bit, although I think warrior is a better film. Um, it its meat headedness really does. Uh, put a layer of stink on it that is unpalatable at times. I'm looking at you, Brian Callen, standing in for Joe Rogan. <laughs> um, but but uh, the, the, the melodrama in that movie is pretty secure. It helps. I can't remember the name of the director, but it's the guy who did Miracle um, and the, uh, the Ben Affleck, the uh, drunk Ben Affleck movie where he's no, it's, he's the, <laughs> the drunk basketball back. coach. Yeah. The way I like that movie, by the way, I did like the yes. way back pretty good and honestly that was one of those uh stuff in the basement movies for affleck that yeah um you know obviously with his own afflictions that i think i was compelled to watch it for that reason alone just that's exactly why i watched it i was like yeah. this is a life imitating art type situation i wonder how this will turn out and as it as it so happens it's pretty good um and yeah warrior uh, the the conflict between the two brothers in that one and the resolution especially I feel like is is something that's like you can only you can only get you can only get that moment or that sequence once uh, in American sports drama, and unfortunately, it exists in Warrior. Uh, <laughs> and honestly, you know, I think not as good of a movie as this. One of the rare boxing movies we'll bring up. Yeah, that I would put in that tier, but Play It to the Bone did that kind of too, honestly, and. In some ways, the fight, at least, was a hell of a lot more compelling than this. So, I, I mean, it, it's a trope. You know, there's only so much you can do with two guys punching each other in a ring in terms of a story development. But there's certain areas that I think that this one in particular failed in that I just think are absolutely just despicable in anything tied to the Rockyverse. One, the music was so lacking which again i joke like rocky four is a music video like almost beginning to end like music is the embodiment obviously you have the classic themes and eye of the tiger all that stuff are you know so synonymous with the rocky balboa character but even the creed first two creed movies had some really cool soundtracks like they had some really like either it was paying homage to the rocky shit or they just had some unique artists that were added to it that like added character in different realms. I don't remember shit in this one. The only musical, honestly, the only music I remember is in the really awkward opening sequence where it's clearly something shady's going on. It's just that deep bass line playing over and over that like clearly is telling you some shady shit's about to happen. Other than that, I don't, I don't remember anything. 
Yeah, it has that weird children's choir playing over it as well that feels like a, a commercial for a Jordan Peele movie. <laughs> it feels like a commercial for us or something. Um, yeah, that sinister beat uh, that opens the movie. Um, they actually call back to that in the score, but it does begin with like a hip-hop track. Um, and then there's at least two or three other songs in the movie that are kind of in one ear out the other. I, I didn't mind uh, his uh, Adonis's Ring Walk song. That has a decent sound to it, although it has a sample of somebody like making sounds that are like, damn, I feel so old listening to music these days. <laughs> um, I will point out that Felix actually has a motif in the score. Um, Felix, everybody's favorite Felix. <laughs> fucking, <laughs> fucking Felix. I, I'm sorry, I just need to derail us for a second to talk about Felix. Felix does have his own, like, his, he has a theme in the score for the film, uh, which was composed by Joseph Shirley, uh, who, as far as I know, is, uh, he's like a understudy or an assistant to other noteworthy composers. So this is kind of like similar to Michael B. Jordan stepping up to the plate for the first time as director. I think this might be his, his first score that can be attributed to him solely. Um, I'm fairly certain he's an MCU guy. I think he does the TV shows though. Ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I didn't dig that deep, but that that's the sound in this movie does feel evocative of some of those shows that I've watched. So good on you for pointing that out. Um, but the big thing is that the composer of the first two Creed films was uh, Ludwig Göransson, uh, who is, I believe, Swedish and also works in the hip hop industry doing beats and stuff. He's a producer, kind of. Um, he's immensely talented. And his score for the first creed film in particular it's like way to knock it out of the park like just just like i don't know how he did that but somehow he made a, a score that is evocative of the of the rocky films while being its own unique product and it's incredibly memorable the themes he composed for those first two movies are are fantastic uh they like they became classics that in like the instance they were minted uh, such that they actually do worm their way into this movie, although only in its second half. Um, and it's only, they use it sparingly. Uh, they have a different theme for this movie um, that serve, it's it's a recurring theme that plays over it that I, I want to say it's just the theme for the movie, not the characters. Um, it has it has some nice movements to it, but unfortunately it's just that. It's just kind of nice. Um it's not especially memorable. So yeah, from a from a soundscape perspective, the music is it's just not on the same level. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't have that bombastic sound to it. And the other thing too, with at least with the first Creed movie, um, you know, I in hindsight, like I remember kind of dunking on Tessa Thompson's character's music. And her first music sucked Creed. in the first one. It got better. But- but I was going to say, in hindsight, I appreciate that because she was also supposed to be an up and coming artist. So that makes sense that it's going to be kind of shitty. Yeah. Like that, yeah. you know, because, alter- you know, the alternative is she has, has some like platinum sounding voice that she just, for some reason, chooses to only perform in these shitty little clubs in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, like, she is working on a laptop and playing small clubs in Philly. So you're absolutely right. It so actually that, is appropriate to her narrative. Yeah. So I like that. There's also a lot of like Philadelphia rappers and whatnot to have that gritty sound of the city involved, which the only reason I reference that is because 
again, this one takes place in fucking LA. Like if you can't find Los Angeles rappers in this era that are talented and can offer something, especially if it's as cheesy as sampling stuff from old Rocky movies, like that's a major failure. And again, it, it strikes me as like, what's the easiest way to get this film done in six months? Well, I know we got this guy who did the score for Mandalorian, people like that shit who come up with something, you know, it, it, there's no like deep thought put into it again, which I get like, you know, this is a pretty formulaic type of feature, but it's also a complete shame when you're talking about something that's a part of the Rocky verse. But yeah, uh, this this movie, the the score, the music just isn't on the same level uh, as the other ones, unfortunately. Uh, especially when you get to the the final fight, and we once again revisit the children's choir uh, pecking me with their children's voices uh, in the darkness uh, for for the like the montage essentially uh, towards the end of that sequence there. Um, but one thing I guess I, I want to talk about here is. Um, the, the motivations for Adonis Creed um, feel very, very flimsy. Like I said, the whole movie seems to be leading up to a simple conversation at the end of the movie. Um, but the road to that, it feels like he's kind of floundering and he doesn't he doesn't have much to do. He doesn't have a lot at stake because it, to the other characters and to us, the audience, he has very little he has very little he's willing to share with us. So it's all like internal anguish. And and they do a nice thing where whenever the Leon character, the, the, the kind of the catalyst for the drama between him and Dame, uh, whenever his name is even mentioned, he, he gets very defensive and uh, he he kind of has these outbursts occasionally. So it's, it's well acted in that sense where it's a good signal to us, the audience, that even though they're doing a shit job of actually expressing what happened or to what extent things happened, his reaction tells you a lot about how bad it was. Um, but I'm curious, Matt, like the, the, the flashback aspect to this movie is extremely slight. Like we have an extended prologue and then we only cut back to that in flashes interspersed throughout the movie. I'm curious, I have this idea in my head where it's like, could you do like a non-linear thing where we actually have like extended uh, flashback sequences where we, we sh- what, what I'm getting at here is that I'm, I'm thinking about the complications we have uh, with the portrayal of the Damien character in particular and would more information, more background on him be help? Would that help or hurt? Because what I'm thinking is more scenes with the two of them as, as young people, because we get dialogue multiple times in the movie suggesting that they did spar or fight each other at some point and Damien was always the better of the two of them he make he this is a, a a very specific thing but from a scripting standpoint there's two two phrases that are used in the movie somewhat repetitiously that bothered me because if you're going to do that it has it be careful like if, if you're laying if you're laying the groundwork for for a payoff sometimes you don't know you're doing that um, and I think that's what happened here. So one, checkmate. Checkmate is referenced twice in the movie, I believe. Um, in the very beginning, when we see Dame's skills at like at the peak of his powers when he's a teenager, just like the night he goes to jail, basically. Um, he gives like a wink to, to Adonis. He says, checkmate, man. Um, and then it's immediately after that, he KOs his opponent in one shot. 
It's like he was in control the whole time. He figured him out. He, the, as, as the the FGC, the fighting game community online says, download complete. <laughs> I've mastered all of your moves. Um, in the very next scene, when we see Adonis Creed in his farewell match, when he's getting ready to uh, retire as champion at like the age of thirty-five or something, he he says the exact same thing to Wood Harris, to his his trainer. He says, "Checkmate, man." And then he goes out there and he does the exact same thing. I was thinking, wouldn't it be kind of nice to pay that off by calling back to that in some fashion? Either have Damien or Adonis bring that to the fore in their conflict with one another. Because if we're going to have these two characters who are supposed to have been so tight and know each other so intimately, and we've been told have experience fighting each other, um, maybe do that. Um, And then the other one was... uh, I was picking you up all the time, uh, is what Damien continually tells Adonis, is that like in life and in fighting, more often than not, our circumstances would end up with me picking you up off the ground. And I was like, that's really cool, because you know what happens in boxing? Knockdowns. And you, you know what happens after a knockdown? Somebody usually gets up. Unfortunately, they have to do it under their own power. So I was thinking... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm very scattered at the moment, but um, one, would it be interesting to see them as kids and maybe see them fight each other as kids and maybe see some tendencies or, or strategies that they developed in their youth that they that persist into adulthood? Uh, maybe flash back to that as, as Adonis is acknowledging parts of his past that he, as he even says in the film, bury it, let it lie. Like it... You get the sense that he almost, almost tricked himself into forgetting about a lot of this. So maybe having him reclaim memories um, and remember who Damien was and what their connection was, maybe you could even exploit that and show that, huh, I kind of forgot how much of a dick Damien was. <laughs> like, like I, I felt intensely sympathetic because all I could remember was that one incident. But then when I really think about it, and this happens to a lot of us as we get older, folks. You, you think back on some of the people you've known over the years, and it's like, wow, that guy was a dick. <laughs> like, I didn't really know it at the time. But in retrospect, holy shit, that guy sucked. Um, maybe that could have been interesting. Um, but the other one also, I guess, would have been exploring the like the actual trauma with, with the Leon character, what actually happened there. I'm curious, like, do you think that would have worked to show more of them as kids or more importantly, like actually show them fight each other as kids? I don't necessarily think that seeing them fight when they were younger would have made an impact to me personally. I think you could have conveyed the same sentiment of showing them interacting in different manners. Um, Yeah, obviously with the checkmate, you know, phrase like that really all you had to shoot was show him playing chess and having him constantly you know donnie constantly losing to damien while while playing and always being one step behind him that just seems like oh you know, oh oh oh, oh um i'm sorry to cut you off but i'm thinking like on the fly here the checkmate thing i had a i had a lot of thoughts about the choreography of the the final fight in this movie which is largely well done for the most part, I, I didn't care much for the the montage sequence in the middle of it, but it's bookended by some 
some good stuff. The first two rounds in particular are very, very well put together. Um, but the, what a theory, like a, an idea that I had was like how you could convey character through, through action. That's like one of my favorite things in film, um, especially when it comes to fighting and stuff. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if we, we laid the groundwork for like differences in philosophy or something that are that are communicated very well through physicality like obvious stuff that you know the the, the mouth breathing wrestling fans in the audience can pick up on. uh so like for instance like an example that that i i spitballed uh when i was thinking about this movie after i saw it in the theater was what if damien had like a kind of a bullheaded philosophy like like a, a dark spin on the rocky balboa philosophy of it's not about how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward what if he had like a philosophy of like if somebody steps to you you push forward like you never take a step back and then the way we deal with that is by having adonis literally take a step back to create an opening or something it's like oh shit he grew past you <laughs> it's like it would be kind of poetic where it shows that this character who he held on a pedestal, who taught him quite a lot and also humbled him quite a lot when they were younger, um, his philosophies or his his perspective is not the be-all, end-all of, of boxing or something like that. Um, and the checkmate thing, maybe, maybe they could have drawn attention because they didn't really do this in the movie, uh, other than like some verbal outbursts that Adonis has maybe it could have been interesting to have him struggling to to have like a, a chess player's mentality in his approach to life because he he projects this image of wearing a suit and being a promoter now he's very clean cut he's a white collar guy he's no longer a fighter but like maybe the introduction of the damien character would have been like maybe it would have put him off kilter and made him less sharp and he's he's unfocused and he's just not where he needs to be mentally and, and spiritually or something and have that be very obvious um and maybe have something like that where he's trying to play chess with his daughter or something and he's he's getting heated for no real reason or so, something some some sort of visual signal that this man is is off like like something there's an imbalance to him um and that, i think that could have been interesting well, see, that kind of plays to what I was talking about before with Michael B. Jordan, to me, not coming across like he fully like embodies the character of Adonis anymore. Because to me, the scenes where he comes to life the most are when he's doing the promoting. And it really feels like that's more him being Michael B. Jordan. Like that's him being able to put his personality into this character finally. Because he's not this kind of like petulant kind of like guy struggling with his own masculinity he's a very confident very disciplined individual who thrives on being able to like you know spread whatever he's he's hoping to do positivity through filmmaking i suppose but so to me like it i think like there's two ways you could have done it there's he i feel like this was a good opportunity that i don't think he his ego would have ever allowed him to do it but this would have been a really golden opportunity to get fat and you know get fat and really show him like this is him retired this is me like just no longer having to work out no longer having to do it you know he's still 
keeps in shape like he's not going to go full on but you know it's also just a matter of kind of being like okay but i've lost a step you know they tried to convey that but it it didn't hit quite as well because he's built like a freaking gi joe (laughs) um then the other side of it is you could have done and this is probably a little more rocky balbo than him but have him trying to do the promotion but kind of failing at it yeah kind of being shitty like kind of like trying to push felix but constantly like screwing up the press conferences or screwing up like the bookings and and just kind of like not offering as much because he's trying to be the guy who's like look i'm i'm the expert you should be listening to me but like giving bad advice because that's inevitably what happens when you're that good is it's hard for you to convey how to do certain things so that i mean that's 100 percent true that's kind of brilliant because i mean Matt knows this. He's speaking the truth right now. A lot of times, the the best fighters in the world are not the best trainers. <laughs> well, it's our our fathers always say it's those who do do and those who can't teach because yep. it's true. Like if if you're you know actually observing it all, you're actually thinking about what goes behind it. But if you're that talented or that good at something, a lot of time you don't have to give it a second thought because it just for you is natural. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like Floyd Mayweather, Pernell Whitaker trying to teach somebody how to be Pernell Whitaker. It's like, no, I'm sorry, only he can do that. (laughs) If he tries to teach you, you're just going to suck at it and probably get hurt because of it. (laughs) No, precisely. So, you know, that's why, you know, the best trainer in theory for like MMA should be Brendan Schaub. Yeah, (laughs) got him. (laughs) Bapa. But, uh... (laughs) No, but it's it's that to me is like another opportunity where you could have had because that goes back to that thing you were talking about. It's like then you can show him getting petulant. Then you can show him getting like frustrated, not yes. knowing how to take it out, maybe get into an argument with his wife a bit, because that's always been kind of a thing too. that conflict of realizing it's like, no, 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 this is this is the part that grounds me. This is where I can need to remind myself this is what makes me who I am. And so then when you have this excuse to run back into the ring to just make it purely about raw masculinity then of course he's going to jump at that rather than face the reality which is that like i don't know what the fuck to do with myself now that i've climbed the mountain you know the the movie kind of has a it's very confused as to like what it's more interested in exploring because if i'm being honest the kind of the end of this movie instead of the family unit together shadow boxing in the ring it probably should have been fade to black Donnie goes to therapy <laughs> like like that is where the character belongs and probably would benefit most from um, so and also ties in thematically um, because that it took three quarters of the movie for him to even verbally acknowledge the whole reason he's been such a shit uh, to his wife and kid for the past hour and a half of the movie or whatever um, but yeah it, it's it's like there there's an unwillingness uh, to tear down the Adonis character. And it, it feels a little bit unfortunate because it feels like maybe it's a, a holdover from its connective tissue with the Rocky Balboa franchise where it's like, Rocky doesn't do that. It's like, well, but it's Creed. It's it's a distinct in- entity and that, and that character's not even in the movies anymore un- until Erwin Winkler bites the dust. Um, <laughs> but it, it seems like a grossly missed opportunity where this should have been the a darker chap an even darker chapter for this character not just the tone of the movie but 
the things that happen with the character. Because honestly, some of the stuff that happens in this movie, if you wanted to dial it up to 11, his wife and kid should have moved out of the house or something. And and mm, I'm, I'm, my head is exploding right now because I'm, I'm having ideas that are kind of like bouncing off of each other. But I noticed on a visual level, and this might be like COVID protocol stuff, that's actually something that we didn't talk about is that um, in addition to an accelerated production schedule for movies like this, major studios also have to do with, deal with COVID protocols, which are a good thing, but it's a layer yeah. of complication that when you're already working on an accelerated schedule makes it even more difficult. Uh, so keep that in the back of your mind when you watch your contemporary movies, dear listeners. Um, in terms of like like blocking and, and framing, and the character of Adonis Creed is alone for many, many portions of this movie. Uh, he, is, he is shown to be solitary. He's, he's, he's not with his family in a lot of instances that it feels like he ought to be. Like, like one of the most beautiful, not most beautiful, it's an all right moment, but like a kind of cool thing that happens in Creed 2 is that he gets humbled and badly hurt physically and spiritually and he pushes everyone away at the middle point of that movie. And how do we resolve that and make it dramatically satisfying? We have him go from having a ring walk by himself in the beginning of that movie and then we end it with him with his wife coming out and singing him to the ring. We are a united unit. No fighter walks to the ring alone. It takes it takes a trainer, it takes a family to get him there. That was a beautiful concept in, in Creed 2 that I thought worked really, really well. In this one, he's back to walking alone. <laughs> it's like, what, did we just regress or what the fuck happened? Well, in this, it's even worse because they have that sequence where Damien talks with her and basically is like, hey, don't you miss like performing? Like, if anything, would have set up like, a, hey, like this is an opportunity for you to like one more one night only, like bring it back because you're right. Like that was a touching moment. I mean, it was, you know, it was a bit overdone, but it was it was touching. It hit the right strings for, you know, a well, crappy it, it's boxing movie. It's visual storytelling. It, it, mm -hmm. even if, if it, it, I forget how the red later media guys say, it. it's like, you may not have noticed it, but your brain did. <laughs> it's like, yes, your brain did notice that the fact that she, he was alone before. Now he's got people around him and now he's stronger as a result. Well, the thing that it's lacking, um, and you would never guess that uh, you'd be wishing for more of, but there's no poly in the Creed verse. I would argue, I, I actually had this in my notes, Damien is the poly. <laughs> but they, they kind of do, they kind of frame him, because Polly's a really sinister, dark character when you actually think about his only sequences. He, he gets overplayed so much, but he's actually a very gnarly character, and really good embodiment of parts of philadelphia speaking but, from experience listeners our father's <laughs> from there <laughs> but uh that's what i was gonna say like he doesn't have that like that because that was always the concept with all the rocky movies is like when he's away from adrian he's inevitably with paulie and if it's not paulie it's mickey so he always has kind of somebody else along with him that kind always. of always like, Always, yeah. even when they don't want, even when they don't want him around, like that kid steps in Rocky Balboa. He's like, "Who is this fucking weird old man?" It's like, yeah, "Don't mind me. I'm just gonna invite myself into your life. It's no big deal." You know what I'm saying? No, but like, 
because there is none of that, you have a lot of moments with Adonis, you're right, just kind of isolating. And it's awkward because it really does paint the picture of like a scary kind of, you know, character who's going through some dark stuff. I mean, I, one of the sequences I thought that was just super comical is how calm Tessa Thompson's character, Bianca, is when she finds Donnie at like 8 a.m. drinking cognac by himself in his man cave. <laughs> And doesn't bat an eye. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, you're up or you're, you've been up all night, have you? And it's like, wow, that's, that's supportive right there. Yeah, that, that's wife material right there. <laughs> she gives so many fucks, you don't even know. Oh, yeah, by the way, his eye is busted because he just got punched yeah, by the yeah, new that's... heavyweight champion of the world. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even mention that. It's like he has a black eye on top of that. So it's like he was out all night and now he's back drinking at 8 a.m. And you're just kind of like, oh, you're awake. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I mean, she- I hate to say it, but like Tessa Thompson, I really did like her quite a lot in the first two movies. But one, she is given nothing to do in this movie, and two, a little bit checked out. Like she just didn't bring her A game. Yeah, well, th- there's nothing there. Like it, it really reeked of it's like we have you for seven days, so just yeah. one shot. And let's go. Well, I mean, but- again, the the scheduling war brother of mine uh the reason as far as i understand that ludwig Göransson didn't compose the score for this film knocked it out of the park twice in a row couldn't have him back for the third one though because i believe he was doing the score for black panther 2 at the time tessa thompson more than likely was filming thor 4 or some shit and like matt had said at the top of this discussion probably flew in for a couple weekends or something you had her when you had her and she was sleepy because she was hanging around with Taika Waititi all night or some shit. Well, I was going to say, too, I, 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 look, everything that's happening in Hollywood is pretty well planned out. I mean, that's why, like you were talking about with Jonathan Majors, where he was like seemingly in, in something every couple months because, you know, he was the one deemed to be the next big thing. I feel like for her, sometimes you do get these actors that, or that, that obviously somebody sees something there and there's potential but they get bigger than expected so she had signed up to be in this role or where it's like hey it's recurring work good deal but now it's like kind of a big deal in your own right so again similar to why my sentiment with michael b jordan and the adonis creed i feel like she's just kind of outgrown bianca and is trying her best to like you know put on the show but also it's like what do I care? This is the third one. And, you know, and I'm in it for all of two minutes. Like it doesn't help that, you know, her equivalent in the Rocky films is Adrian, which is not like that. I wouldn't say that's a thankless role, but it's a very specific role that does not get a whole lot of depth or screen time. But I would say if you if you if you dared to remove Adrian from any of those Rocky movies or Rocky sequels that she was in, it they would not be half as good because Rocky needs Adrian. Like like there's a reason Rocky Balboa is so powerful is because her absence is completely felt throughout every frame of it. Um, and I just felt that the way this movie was structured, it feels like this bizarre regression from Creed Two, especially where it's like, so hang on. We have this guy who's going through some shit. He went. He's. We've seen him go through some shit in the other two movies. I mean, his his uncle, like surrogate uncle slash mentor slash trainer, is going through fucking cancer. Um, 
he got the shit kicked out of him and is having some serious like psychological and spiritual trauma throughout all the second one. And this one, it's like, so why is he why is he choosing to self-isolate? That feels like he's I mean, maybe he became better as a fighter, as evidenced by the beginning of this movie. But like as a human being, he seems to have lost a step or something. It, it just it just feels like a weird backpedal. And then to to reduce the Bianca character's role to such an extent just feels kind of ugly. Especially like the, the 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 big one, the the big one that really jumped out at me. That just like it stung in the theater. I'm not gonna lie, Matt. On the big screen, I was like, "Ooh, that that wasn't good." <laughs> um, so there's the uh, the get up D uh, that she says. Uh, I, she may say it in every movie. I can't remember in the first one, but she most certainly says it in the second one. And it is a beautifully constructed and edited moment. It 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 that moment is awesome in that movie when he when he's like pounding the the mat to get up, like he's having to will himself aggressively to get up to his feet. And the only thing he can hear in the crowd when the lights are dim and everything is his wife's voice saying "Get up, D." And the tone that she says it, it works. They reiterate that here. The exact same line. It just, oh my god, it's get up, D. <laughs> it's like, I guess <laughs> if you want. And then he just kind of gets up, and it's just like, so you mean you just repeated a beat from the previous movie, but you did it shitty? <laughs> it's like maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do the same thing twice and deliberately, seemingly do it worse. <laughs> It's almost like she was truly embodying the character who at that point would be thinking, I'm sitting here holding our nine-year-old daughter, and all I'm thinking is, if he lays the fuck down, we can retire and spend the rest of our days on never-ending vacation with our hundreds of millions of dollars. See, <clears throat> Matt, this is why I love talking to you, guys, because you get this shit. We should be writing scripts, I tell you. Um, that's... You, you just kind of put a piece of the puzzle on the table I didn't even know we needed was um, the retirement talk. Like, that's instead of supporting him wholeheartedly, her angle, her drama would be her telling him that. We have a beautiful nine-year-old daughter who needs our help and support and our love. We are financially wonderful. We're doing great. Felix lost he's still an active fucking fighter it's not like he's dead he's at the fight at the end for fuck's sake don't forget felix <laughs> how dare you forget felix the most of he's the linchpin for the whole thing i tell you but um that would have been so amazing to have that in this movie to have her confront him and push back on that and say what you and i have been saying this whole time why why do you have to fight him? And and Rocky and Adrian had that argument all the time. Like Rocky IV especially. She was like, dude, that guy's really big. <laughs> and he just murdered the fuck out of your friend. And we're financially well off, just like Adonis Creed. Why? And in Rocky's case, it makes all the sense in the world. It's like, I gotta do it for America. But, but more importantly, Rocky demonstrates so many times over all those films that that is just how he is wired. Like he is forever from the street, and if and if some if he has to fight, he's it's gotta happen. Like it's just gotta happen. Like that's just how he is, and he's a lovable guy. But when it, when it comes to that, those sorts of matters that can only be solved in that way in his mind, 
it's it's inevitable it just has to happen well i was going to say there's a phrase that i find myself using more and more and part of it's getting older and part of it's doing a really shitty uh video game podcast but <laughs> realizing when certain things just aren't for me anymore hmm. and, and that's a recurring thing i feel like with the creed three um as because like we talked about this is the jump off to it being completely removed from rocky and becoming its own thing and there are certain i think elements of that that are just speak to it's being made for a different generation yes 100 need some of the messaging that we do at our age and maybe pick up on certain things easier um you know, it, you mentioned Rocky Four, and, and that's a perfect example because of that one, it's very clear that they're established, they're well off, like they don't need anything at that point. There's no reason for them to come out. But what this movie needed was the Rocky Three, the the big reveal on the beach of when he breaks down. I'm afraid, yeah, and just says, admits that like that's what the part that's killing him is he doesn't know what to do when he's dealing with emotional turmoil. So the only thing he knows how to do is get that ring and get pummeled until it somehow feels right. And to have the emotional support all of a sudden opens up this new element that allows him to unlock his potential to be great himself and be more than just another palooka. And with this, you can do the same thing, but it has to, it's more the emotional part. It's like it's not so much that it's like he's afraid to be himself he's afraid to be open he's afraid to acknowledge the things that have been driving him or just this burning hatred he has in his guts for this awful human being which seems to be the motivating factor in this that somehow like you know they're trying to use to keep damien as this kind of quasi good guy but but there needed to be some real reason for him to be like, look, I'm willing to walk away from everything here just because or risk everything here because this needs to happen because it's the only way I'm going to heal. And there's no sense of that here because, again, it, it's hard to really say because it's a different world we're in. Like if you're a heavyweight champion in the world, you are sitting on so much money that you could buy your own island. You know, you definitely don't need to seek therapy by getting pummeled in the face. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of interesting that um, the the Leon character, uh, who kind of is like he actually is like the catalyst for the whole conflict between Damien and 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 Adonis. There's no actual resolution for him. Like like we have that incident and we talk about him and we do have that moment that has some decent dialogue it's too hurried like it needed to breathe more but what what bianca says to adonis uh post funeral was a lot of what had to be there in order to get to the end of the movie it's not artfully done but it's like they hit all the beats that they need to where she she listens to him spill his guts finally he opens up willingly and then she reassures him and tells him you're a good person regardless of how you feel and more importantly everything everything that you have all the goodness in your life you you earned which has always always kind of been the thesis of the character uh, the, one of the most chilling emotional moments in that first creed movie is uh, when they have the talk in the corner in the fight and he says I, I need to know i wasn't a mistake and it's like that sums up the character in, in many many ways they don't always reference it but at its core that's kind of what the character is about um, but she she acknowledges that she tells him like you 
regardless of how you might feel about it from my perspective you have earned all 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 the goodness in your life um oh, go ahead matt i'm sorry no, no, I was just going to say, like, again, this is an area where I think, and, and I'm no expert, this movie made $200 million. Yeah. Michael B. Jordan clearly did something right here. But <laughs> but my schmuck ass is looking at this and saying, like, this is an example of, uh, you know, a director who's coming to their own who hasn't quite gotten there. And there's a lot of things that can be done with subtlety that would convey so much more than what they kind of did here. Like, you had asked kind of earlier, like, should they have fleshed out more of the Leon thing? And, and I get where you're going with that. I would argue that, like, I think they did too much. Mm. Like, I think that this was a case, like I said, you could have gotten really dark with that story. And I think they were really alluding to that, honestly. I think so, too. And then they kind of slipped in. It's like, oh, you used to beat us up. And it's like, oh, well, that's still awful. You didn't deserve that. That's horrible. But, yeah. like, the way it was conveyed beforehand really suggests it was even more heinous. The the snappiness of his reactions suggests that or maybe at a certain phase in scripting it was something worse, something darker. And I think that that would have been the way to do it. Just like really don't explain it for shit. Just make it clear that he's forever indebted to Damien for, you know, standing up for him in this case. And then when he has that talk with Bianca, maybe just have him break down. Like, he can't even put it into words. Like, he doesn't have to. Like, he, yeah. he tries, and he's so wounded by this that, you know. And, you know, yeah, then you have that talk, like you're talking about, where they connect. But also, it would give him something where it's like he has something welling up in him that just needs to be vented somehow. And he can't bring himself to do it in, in any other way than the only way he's known how since he's become in, his own man. Oh, shit. You, you just did your puzzle piece routine there sequencing have the fight before have the fight before the, the explanation so it's like why what what was all of that about it's like well it, it was really hard to get here but now now that the shit's cleared out of the basement <laughs> physically maybe maybe we can start healing and actually address things yeah precisely and there's ways you could have done that too like we we talked about the funeral and, and you're right it's super awkward that rocky's not there but maybe just have a scene where you don't even really need stallone's permission maybe just have her pick up the phone and be like hey it, it's rocky and then you fade to black and yes you have that moment where he's just kind of staring off and thinking about whatever they talked about didn't have to have the big emotional thing in fact if anything it would probably be too overblown unless you can get Stallone to ADR one line like how you doing kid you know but otherwise you know it, it's really just one of those things where like you you could have tied up so many things with just a little extra added in there because the, again we we talked about the guts are here but you know you're lacking the other area too the one big area that really really bothered me with this one that and I'm curious to get your take on it because for uh, Rocky movies, like ever since like Stallone turned himself into a freaking powerhouse, you know, a five foot three powerhouse or whatever <laughs> he is, um, they really have always been kind of like a, an honor of like the triumph of, of the human body at work, you know, like they really like, if you're not motivated to go out and like run a mile or or lift some weights after watching a Rocky training sequence. Something's wrong. I didn't care for the training sequence in this one. 
Oh, I'm so I glad. Like I'm was... so glad we're talking about this. <laughs> it felt very rushed. It felt very kind of like. I feel like they left a lot of meat on the bone about being able to convey a lot of their characters through the training. Yeah. And I feel like, especially with obviously the anime connection that Michael B. Jordan has, especially with that really cringy sequence with the fog and the ring in the middle of the fight, mm-hmm. you would assume that he would have really understand that like one of the big elements, a lot of those types of animes is the extended training sequences and showcasing the different schools of thought that go into how you prepare for the ultimate engagement. And I didn't get any of that. It felt very rushed and and very awkward because they were already so juiced to begin with that it was kind of like, this doesn't really look like they're exerting themselves. It just looks like they move boulders in their, their lunch break. Like, what the hell? Yeah, it, it is it is a clunker of a of a I, I hesitate to call it a montage in some way because the the edit is lackadaisical um it it really doesn't have a rhythm or a snap to it that you really need uh when you're when you're cross-cutting back and forth between the two camps um as matt had said the the routines that the two characters are are going through do very little to instill in the viewer a sense of strategies going into the fight like it's it's very there's no real sense there's no real rhyme or reason to it like you can't identify easily anyway what either guy is attempting to polish up on we do get some instances of damien writing in a notebook and watching tape i appreciate that because that that's part of his character he's demonstrated that before especially with dealing with felix earlier he scouted him and that's part of how he was able to handle him so well um but like all the mitt training and stuff that's flashy on camera but doesn't tell me anything about what the game plan is going in we've seen creed and rocky do plenty of wind sprints and stuff so that doesn't really give us anything i did kind of like um jonathan majors uh i did kind of like dame doing similar to uh, uh victor drago in creed 2 um for the final fight in that movie, the training montage, I like how they promoted him. Like he gets he gets to move into the big gymnasium and he gets the state of the art facilities, kind of similar to his dad in Rocky Four. I did like that Jonathan Majors' character is now in the money. He's got the fucking undisputed heavyweight championship belt. Of course he's of course he's gonna have some money now. Um so I did like him doing like a public training where he's got like a crowd of people like hooting and hollering as he's lifting weights on the beach and stuff that that is indicative of character that was kind of neat um but other than that he's he's working out on the beach and he's beating up sparring partners and that is it and part of that might have to do with scheduling where it's like jonathan majors is here to get in shape like a full ass boxing camp He's got to be Kang, man. He's got to be Kang in three different movies. So like you you have Jonathan Majors for some of the fights. Some of the some of the stuff when he's shirtless, but like other than that it's going to be basic shit and we're going to have we're going to make him look like a million bucks. And then yeah, just the the pace of the edit is very unsatisfying. The music as Matt had highlighted earlier doesn't really do it. Um and what's more, by the time you get to the end of it, we get we get like a Rocky Four reference where he does he doesn't say yo or Drago on the top of a mountain, but he he, he runs up an L.A. hill. Like I'm sorry, that's just not the equivalent to a Siberian fucking mountain. <laughs> but but the lead up to that, the the 
the swell of the music, which actually that part of the music, the crescendo, is good. I'll, I'll give the composer that. But the edit, he just kind of like lazily jogs up to the top of the hill and then he stands still for several seconds and then yells. And then the music, then the camera pulls out and the, the, it's over. It's just like, oh, well, I guess he climbed that hill. <laughs> it's like you, you need to have that that breakthrough moment during the training where it's like he gonna fly now he, he's he's flying now you know you know it's that part where they have the steady cam and they're showing sylvester stallone run faster than we've seen him run before or you know in rocky three he's doing he's doing the shadow boxing drills faster than we've ever seen him do it before <laughs> or maybe do the full millennial which you know adonis creek kind of perfectly embodies and uh-huh. have it be all of jonathan majors is you know, Damien's character is him doing these, ex, you know, extensively heavier, you know, lifting sessions and just more intense workouts and have a lot of Damien's focusing on like meditation and centering himself, and mentally preparing himself, like maybe showcase that like he understands that like that's the part that he's he's got the training down he has the state of the art equipment he he knows how to get himself in the game show he's a champion that, of the world that's what actual veteran boxers often do like bernard hopkins was always hilarious to see him like like in training and in the corner because he'd usually be doing it himself this is the other guy's just there for motivation he know he is 45 years old he knows what to do <laughs> And also that ties into the the script without alteration, as is. There's repetition in the script of the film of him saying boxing isn't about violence; it's about focus and, and like coordination and such. Checkmate, maybe. I was just gonna say. Yeah, uh, that would have been a, that would have been an interesting spin where it's like you get the high intensity stuff that you want from a traditional montage from the Dame character, but on the other end of it, it's like. No, this this he's got it. He just he has to put him he has to put himself together mentally and spiritually. Everything else will fall in line if he can get that, which is very very different, but actually kind of authentic <laughs> to to the sport in a lot of ways. Well, and it would also I think be very fitting with the kind of underlying theme of like he had everything perfect in his life and then this like horrible part of his his childhood kind of comes roaring back into his life and how he he addresses it and i feel like that's a, an opportunity where you could have showcased it it could have been just as strenuous of training of just showing him trying to like get centered and trying to like put himself at ease to focus and he just can't you yeah. know, and, and having those moments, like, then you can have the lazy jog up the hill and just have him taking it in and kind of knowing that, like, look, I'm in top shape. I'm heavyweight champ of the world. I'm not concerned about pulling freaking airplanes and, you know, doing all that <laughs> crap. Like, I I got this. I have the state-of-the-art technology. I'm good. But the part that's hanging me up is every time I try to think about this, it flashes me back to this awful part and i need to overcome this in order to face this adversity yeah a a big thing that is is worth emphasizing and i did mention this is that the second half of this movie is structurally kind of a nightmare um they it they've just hit the accelerator they just mash it down all the way down um and just scenes just whiz by pretty much 
as soon as Felix goes down, everything comes back to Felix. It's all your fucking fault, Felix. As soon as Felix goes down, it's like in rapid succession. It's like uh, mom tells Adonis that she was doing the Mickey thing and protecting him from being connected with Damien while he was imprisoned. Okay, we have an argument. We have a blow up with mom. Next scene, we're on the beach. Uh, Damien's revealed to be a complete asshole. They uh, they have a confrontation, and it's like next scene. Uh, oh, by the way, kind of hilarious scene actually. I, it's not hilarious, but it's just weirdly placed, and it seems like maybe there's material there that again I mentioned that the Leon character doesn't actually have a resolution because he is never confronted. Only through proxy via Damien do we get any sort of like addressing of that. Um, Adonis goes to the site where where the incident happened, where he he assaulted Leon and Damien was arrested. Uh, he goes there in the present, and then he's flashing back to that night, and it's almost like a comical beat because it's like this character who is has buried this trauma and is has been completely unwilling to examine it in any way, is interrupted by the death of his mother. <laughs> He gets a phone call from his wife saying, your mom just had a stroke. She's going to die. Oh, she's dead. Just like that fast. It's like, I guess, yeah, that that is true to life. That unfortunately is how those things happen. Probably quite often, unfortunately. Um, but just it's it's like the it, it's like the character is attempting to grow and then it's snatched away from him. And it's like, why is that in this movie? <laughs> like, like Speaking of things that shouldn't be in Rocky movies, maybe don't show him. Maybe don't show him go through that. But yeah, the mom mom gets a stroke. She's dead instantly. Like two minutes, gone, down. Wood Harris doesn't get a scene because we don't have time for that. And then as soon as she's dead, Bianca tells him, you're a good guy. And then he says, I got to fight my friend. And she says, you do that. Training montage, fight, credits. It's that fast. It, it's ridiculous. And, and what I'm getting at here to bring it all back to what we were just talking about the training portion of this movie, th there's a single piece of music on the score that represents the entirety of the training content of this movie. Like, the, it's it's literally the moment he decides to fight him, uh, the promotion for the fight and the training are all mashed into one block of, of scenes. It's mind-boggling, because if you think back to Rocky III, the, the structure of that movie is kind of beautiful in a lot of ways. Um, I love it so much for that reason. Half of that movie is him training. He sucks at it most of the time, but half of it is him sucking at training and then having that chat with Adrian on the beach and then getting good. And then they fight. And then you get Thunderlips in the beginning. So there you go. Perfect movie. <laughs> Seems only fitting that with the passing of the Iron Sheik that we get a Hulk Hogan reference. So. Yeah, fucking bullshit. <laughs> A man who dedicated his entire latter part of his life to just tweeting about how much he hated Hulk Hogan every day. God Break on. your back. Make you humble. <laughs> <laughs> we will miss you, Sheik. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if that's warranted. <laughs> no, I, I hate to, to derail you there, but I, I hear what you're saying because it's true. Like, it's... In this one, it just there was no soul to the training sequence. It really just looked like two guys with glamour muscles just kind of showing off how 
well chiseled no, they are. It doesn't help think... that you have celebrities in there too, where it's like I know they do that in all of these movies. Fucking Roberto Duran's in Rocky too, if you didn't know. Um, he's yeah. he's a sparring partner. He's got yeah. headgear, but you know one of the best fighters of his generation, serving as a sparring partner for Sylvester Stallone, who in no way had an inflated ego at that point in his career. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, we have Terrence Crawford serving as a, a sparring partner uh, for, for Adonis Creed in this. And then we have, uh, like, a social media famous lady that she's, like, the Mitt Queen or something. That She's, like, she's like presented similar to Stitch Duran, the, uh, the cut man, yeah. uh, famously former UFC employee, no longer. Um, she's kind of presented as that, like an, like a persistent element to adonis creed's camp but she she has a social media following there's a reason why she's here and it's it's cross promotion yeah there's a lot of that um in fact i think the uh, ring announcer actually of um the main fight between dame and david uh, diamante <laughs> i i believe he i think i heard that he may be um actually doing some of the commentary for the new aew uh show that is launching very soon here so. oh shit see everything's wrestling folks um i didn't know he did commentary i know he's he's been a fixture in boxing forever uh, he's the guy with the big dreads by the way yeah uh, if you don't know who we're talking about uh it may not be him and maybe one of the announcers but i i'll have to look to do more research that's that's a bad one by me but i nah. i do believe that there's uh somebody tied to aew um so yeah everything's wrestling like everything's wrestling just keep that in the back of your mind folks but uh, speaking of uh uh non-actors in the film i i didn't i i just need to say this i need to put this out there just so people are aware uh, uh felix everything comes <laughs> everything is felix <laughs> felix chavez uh who is the, at the beginning of the film presented as the heavyweight champion of the world uh adonis creed is his promoter um He's the guy who Damien ends up defeating to take the belt off of. Um, Felix is played by Jose Benavides Jr., um, who I find it kind of comical um, from a casting standpoint because, I mean, they they have a lot of actual fighters in the Creed movies. Um, Tony Ballou, uh, who is Ricky Conlon, he, he was an active fighter at the time of filming the first Creed. He's been retired for a while. Um, and many, many other uh, fighters uh, are featured. Um, Andre Ward um, was in the first two Creed films as well. Um, but Jose Benavides Jr. makes me laugh because he is a he was a super welterweight, uh, which folks at home, if you're not aware, is 154 pounds, which is about 50 pounds shy of where he'd need to be <laughs> in order to wear the heavyweight championship belt. Um, and I get it from a casting standpoint. You, you, you want Dame to look good. There's a reason they didn't have Jonathan Majors take his shirt off until he's in the ring to fight. It's because it's supposed to be a grand reveal, and also it's he's supposed to look imposing. And he does. Um, but when you, when you stand up next to a guy who's 60 or 70 pounds lighter than him, it's just, a, it's just kind of funny when, like when, when, when you're aware of that. Um, and uh, Jose Benavidez is he's a very capable fighter just he's a very he's a much smaller fighter um, and it's also worth pointing out that um, he did uh, suffer uh, I think a gunshot wound uh, to the leg in like 2016 
Um, and his career never quite got back on track as far as I can tell. I think this is the signal that he's probably going to be retiring because he hasn't won in a while. Um, and I don't know about him, but his brother and his dad uh, have a gym in the Seattle area. Uh, and his brother is a current uh, champion, a super middleweight, I think. And he's actually uh, calling out Canelo these days. Uh, so we actually have a, a hometown hero right now. Really? Yeah. I think it's uh, David Benavides. This is, I think it's his younger brother. I had no idea. Yeah, and it's kind of funny. Like, when you think boxing, you don't think Seattle. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> no, definitely not. Let alone, you know, top-tier talent. That's actually cool. Today I learned something, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if, uh, if that Canelo fight ends up happening. I, I will probably buy that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but speaking of fighting, uh, we got to talk about that anime shit. Got to talk about the anime. Uh, so, <laughs> Matt, would you would you care to express your feelings on uh, the final battle of this film and how it's presented? I mean, like you said, it starts off solid. Like, you know, it's it's two guys in the ring pummeling each other. It's well choreographed. It's, it's fast. It seems crisp. But this is just such a departure like look i'm not completely above like implementing parts of anime into real life movies i personally don't think it translates as well i think that certain things just work better in animation versus real life acting but i did see that movie in full bloom oh you did japanese yeah japanese boxing movie that takes place post-world war ii and it's it's a beautiful movie like in terms of the movie itself it's it's okay but it's absolutely gorgeous and a lot of the reason is is because it very much is in that anime style so to go from that to this which just looks so cheap like honestly like it it looks like something that like i feel like if i got you a decent editing software you could probably put together like in a long weekend and and it just felt again like that whole disneyfication of filmmaking of just like how can we make this stretch with not having these guys here for more than x amount of time to be in the same room so how can we just kind of up the intensity while also making it so they're clearly in a green screen so we don't need to do this live like they do for rocky balboa for instance where you know, yeah, you know, you did it in between a pay-per-view, in between matches, and you choreographed it all on the fly, and you had to go through all that, and that that's part of the action, that's part of filmmaking, but to do this just kind of green screen way where you can take as many takes as you need to make it look like you're pummeling each other and speed things up and slow things down at your leisure, like, it, it just doesn't carry the same weight, so I, I hated every second of it, to be honest, the second the, that fog appeared. Yeah, I I kind of feel the same way, because I, I, I understand what is attempted, what they're attempting to present here. They're using artistic license to make a hyper real hyper real kind of environment where it's like we're supposed to be entering the mental state of the two characters where it's like they've tuned out their environment and they're they're laser focused on each other and the emotional conflict between the two of them i get it and then you have visual you have iconography that's thrown into the mix that is it makes sense but it's a little 
clumsy where Damien has the power to summon prison cell bars behind Adonis. I guess that's symbolic of him channeling his prison rage. I get it, but it, it's a, from a visual standpoint, it's not particularly interesting. It kind of makes me think of Sin City for some reason. <laughs> um, but it, it, it just feels very on the nose and not especially creative because as Matt had said, like if you look up just boxing anime, there are so many visual, like wonderfully creative, like examples of using using that medium of animation to do some truly wild and creative things with two guys punching each other in a ring, uh, in a canvas ring, and then we have the the torn up mattress at one point being summoned up, which I didn't really get because what little we saw of the flashback showed that they were using that together. Like, there, one guy was holding it, like, one of the kids was holding it while the other one hit it, so that was, like, them playing together? But now Adonis is summoning it up and weaponizing it against him, and it's, like, just the image of poor Jonathan Majors being sandwiched between a man's fists and a dirty, <laughs> a ratty mattress. Just, it's, it's a little comical. And also, that's another instance of uh, Jonathan Majors acting too much, where he looks pathetic and he looks he looks like like a beaten dog or something like like you feel too bad for him in that in specifically that beat of the choreography i did like the double punch that was cool that they did that that's very dragon ball-esque um but uh hajime no ipo folks uh look it up if you want to see some cool boxing shit rendered in animation some actual really creative stuff with angles especially and effects like like wind and dust um, and also just a, I don't know, visual symbolism to convey motion and intent. Uh, look into that. Like, for instance, they, they have the, the, the dragonfish thing where it's like it moves in an arc that's similar to a, a punch. And, it's, and there's, they have the, the visual of a person appearing to be in a ring that is under the water to convey the, feel, the sensation of somebody being fatigued. Basic shit like that, but it's very easily communicated to us, the viewer, and it looks neat too. None of this looked neat. <laughs> well, I was gonna say too, you if you're gonna go that whole mist in the ring routine, you may as well go full bore and actually do like the inner monologue or whatever. Oh, like, that, I was what, craving that so badly. Cause honestly, like that that's the difference between the tension of like the Epo versus Majiba, like kind of like first fight where it's like it's actual like both fighters have something at stake here but one has a lot more at stake that you're just not fully privy to until that very moment or even the drama that you get from like the Ipo versus Date like the first time around where it's just kind of like you're seeing the progression as it's going throughout of just like going from like okay I think I got this to maybe I don't got this kind yeah. of thing no I, I was so badly craving the inner monologue because that's such a staple of in particular shonen anime which if you if you look up interviews with Michael B Jordan he's seen all the stuff that we're talking about he knows this stuff it's just it didn't end up in the movie for some reason but it's like if you're gonna if you're going to deliberately reference it and use it as part of the marketing for the film you really ought to just go all out go lean into it hard um but yeah the inner monologue i think would have made such a huge difference because it would have spelled out the emotional state and the intent of all the actions that are playing out on the screen 
Um, and it would have dialed up the intensity because actually like that is something that I noticed was that the, the way they decided to go about it, having them be completely mute during that whole missed sequence, it, it turns into the uglier parts of Dragon Ball, the memeable parts of Dragon Ball, where it's just them making constipated faces and shrieking at each other. And it's like, I get it. Again, I, I, I'm not an idiot. I did pick up on the idea that these two characters lack the tools to express themselves, um, you know, verbally or emotionally. So the only way it can manifest is through violence and rage and stuff. But it just it does not play well on film. It comes across as kind of childish, honestly. <laughs> Which may actually be why this thing was successful, because as Matt had said... The target audience for this, I suspect, actually, like after I walked out of the theater, I, th- I was like, I think this was for teenagers. And that's what I was going to say with that. Is it, it feels like there were a lot of intentional decisions made to portray certain elements of these characters in the most positive light possible. Yeah. And I think that the intention behind that is that, like, again, this isn't for a crusty old man like you and I. This is for a younger generation that needs positive role models in the form, which let's be honest, that was kind of the Rocky Balboa for also positive black role models. Trust me. There's, there's a lot of elements there as well that I just don't think that I have the knowledge to comment on, but I know that there were probably decisions made as well with some of the character decisions that also factor in many factors there as well. So uh, again, there's, there's parts I can comment about filmmaking and those parts I'm confident with, but certain other parts it's as somebody who's not a member of the community, I, I defer to whatever the experts say, but I, I can almost assure you there were some elements there that um, were taken into account for sure. No, I, I have to assume as much. Obviously, I don't have any more insight than you do, but just the, the product that we got does feel like it was tweaked in certain ways to to make it flatter, just like gray it out a little bit. Like, like instead of really going for the, the heavy dramatic angles, just kind of pitch it straight down the middle and make it approachable and just satisfying enough to get by. Um, and it's to the film's detriment, if you ask me, but me and Matt are in the it's still real to me boat um, <laughs> stage of our, uh, our fandom when it comes to films these days. <laughs> uh, what, Ain't that the truth? Yeah, because I, I do get the sense that this being as it is the first one to not have the Rocky Balboa connection, it does feel like it was an opportunity that producers may have wanted to capitalize on, on where it's like, okay, we have this hot young guy in the form of, we have two hot young guys. We got a lot of hot young people in this movie. Maybe we should capitalize on, on that and target our film towards a new generation of viewer. Um, and I think it's telling by by the success of the movie. That's like, it, I, th- I th- actually I'd be really curious to know what it's like uh, to have Creed one be your your first Rocky movie, like the first one that you ever saw and the first one that came out when you were at at the sweet spot of your of your development as a person to appreciate. I'm cu- I'm curious what those people's attachment by the time they got to this movie, like what what that feels like for them. Yeah, no, I, exactly. I think that that's a big factor. And also don't sleep on that thing you alluded to earlier of his daughter being the next phase of the Greek legacy. God damn it. It's really looking that direction. It I is. Mean, 
I know. The, the last shot is literally like her in the ring, like dancing around while he, you know, plays the father figure again, which, and it really, I mean, he's already retiring and this is supposed to be his launch off of the first <laughs> movie completely divorced from Rocky. So I'm just saying, don't be shocked if you see him in the trainer role um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'm I'm curious if they're gonna get to that point with the character because I I I kind of wanted to see a fat fat Donnie. I still want to see Fat Donnie, honestly. <laughs> like that would make me happy to see him finally get to exhale after all these years of being in peak physical fucking condition. Um but the other angle that I based on this movie i don't i suspect that the the producers or the writers would be totally unwilling to explore would be um being forcibly retired kind of similar to rocky where it's like your your body is giving giving out on you it doesn't matter anymore how you feel about it and i don't think that's territory that this particular character um can navigate really like it just it just doesn't seem like the character could survive that um like that harsh of a pivot away from what we've gotten here um but yeah seeing fat donnie as a trainer uh, maybe that would be an interesting alternative um, <laughs> actually i mean if you wanted to do that the way i think you'd have to do it is have him suck at it <laughs> just have him be like all super jazzed about training his daughter and then he discovers oh man i'm really bad at this <laughs> i mean that's the only way to make it compelling and, you know, like I said, I'll continue to be interested. I'm kind of obligated to do so, given how much these movies have meant to me, including the first two Creed films. So with this one, uh, I'm a little less jazzed. But like I said, I, I think it goes back to that point of understanding as well that this wasn't meant for me. And even though it's something familiar, it's it's for a new world that um still coming to terms with accepting is is the present day yeah i'm right there with you man <laughs> but but uh speaking of which uh speaking of things that you have a tenuous connection with and feel obligated to ingest regardless of the, its quality transformers rise of the beasts <laughs> are you down bro <laughs> You know, it's funny. That was what I was thinking of it as I was saying that, because that's a perfect example of it's like, this is a Transformers movie based on a Transformers universe I know nothing about. Same here, man. <laughs> I got <laughs> I got your toys when you were done with them, so I, I, I didn't experience Beast Wars either. Yeah, so I'm just looking at that and I'm saying, like, I guess I'll check it out. It's from but... the director of Creed 2, by the way. Connections. Revolutions. <laughs> well, played. well played you know what i have to say that that guy did a hell of a job uh i believe that was his first movie uh Creed yeah II. i think he was like a dp or something prior yeah to that. really hell of a job so that makes me intrigued i'm not gonna lie plus it's got you know freaking uh our boy um never before featured on uh cinema Aside from our classic 1986 VHS, uh, Transformers, the movie Unicron. Oh, um, he's he's in it? I didn't even know that. You know more yeah, than I do. <laughs> he's the big bad. They finally brought Unicron. I wonder if they're going to sample Orson Welles' voice. <laughs> uh, it's somebody big. I oh, think. oh, Leif Schreiber. <laughs> they should get Leif Schreiber. <laughs> 
<laughs> or the guy who voiced the brain from Animaniacs. That was, that's who, that's who they need to get. That's the winner. Track him down. If he's still kicking, get the brain. I forget his name. I, actually, I never knew it. That's a lie. <laughs> but I think we're uh, reaching the end of this discussion here. But just just to round out things. Things that you liked, Matt. Can you tell me some things about Creed 3 that you liked? It's so hard to say. <laughs> like I said, it's hard because honestly the parts I liked the most were Jonathan Majors. And it's yeah. so hard to talk about him in a positive light right now just because there's a very distinct chance he's a total piece of shit. So, yeah. um, But, you know, for the performance, he really did a hell of a job. He really did. <laughs> really really good he's really good <laughs> I did like seeing you know baby Drago uh, come back um, I thought that was kind of cool when he was helping with the training even though it makes no fucking sense because he has Felix right there in his camp who should be the one actually sparring with him rather than this massive titan of a man but, oh yeah by the way he's currently in recovery for a hand injury <laughs> right right but you know i did like it, that they played a couple of bars of his theme music from the second film when he's and, when he appears in the ring that was cool yeah so i mean i did like that they alluded to him still being present like he didn't just disappear off the face of the earth after that fight yeah that he's still on the periphery you know one thing they do do well um you know even though i don't enjoy the stuff we talked about like the cross promotion and the social media people and all that like again that's that's me being a grumpy old man but they do do a pretty good job of showing the scale of this kind of stuff in the modern world um, you know, it, it's when you watch the old Rocky fights or whatever in the movies, like it, boxing was big, but it's not like it is now with the money generated by the huge fights. So like understanding like the scale, I think they actually do a pretty good job of conveying that like, this is a big fucking deal, like LA Dodgers stadium, like you know and prior to that it's like no we're gonna go to south africa and have it be this massive international affair with the you know the boxer from britain so i i mean i think they do that well to convey that it's like no this this is like primo stuff this isn't just some guy in a sweaty gym like so uh those were the things that jump out like i said the hardest one is is really the majors factor yeah no i i would agree <clears throat> i really did like everything that Jonathan Majors brought to the table for the most part. I think he had a really good handle on that character, even if the movie didn't. Um, but him as a performer, shit human being as far as we know, but good performance. Um, some of the choreography, although the cinematography during the fighting feels a little stilted at times, like it doesn't feel quite as sharp uh, as it was in the previous two films. And I actually have a pet theory about that, that this movie is touted as being the first sports film shot in IMAX um, and IMAX cameras are very large and very cumbersome and my suspicion mm -hmm. is perhaps maybe that limited their options in the way they could shoot these things just logistically speaking um, but the choreography of again Jonathan Majors' stuff I thought was pretty pretty well conceived and well represented on film where it's very readable you understand that he has a distinct style. You understand how he's strategizing and how he's taking advantage of his opponents. 
Uh, in particular, during the Felix fight, there's a lot of subtleties in what he's doing that, uh, for me anyway, I had zero issue picking up on what he was trying to accomplish. And it was, you know, clever. He's working within the confines of a sport with rules, but similar to everybody's favorite, B-Hop, uh, he's finding ways to skirt around those rules. Um, and it was kind of neat to see that, although... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking Felix. Uh, Jose Benavidez is a real fighter. Uh, still not retired as far as I know. And something I noticed is that he's not especially good at playing a victim. Which mm. makes a lot of sense because as a real fighter, you don't do that. You get hit hundreds of times in a night and it's your job, literally your profession, to not express pain or distress in those circumstances. And so when he when you're doing play fighting, when you're doing screen fighting, you need to like whip your head around and, and sell. Everything's wrestling. You need to sell in order to convey the impact and make your opponent look good. And he's, he's just, I don't know if he's incapable or unwilling, but fucking Felix, man. He just, he didn't, he didn't look all that great taking a beating. Um, and also the resolution of that fight just felt, I don't know, very weirdly accelerated where it's like he goes from getting a pep talk to getting into the middle of the ring and immediately getting just rolled. And it's like, oh, well, I guess that's over. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to be complimentary to the film, and I'm failing miserably. <laughs> no, it's, that's a good point. And honestly, that's always been kind of my point of contention with them kind of moving towards more real fighters and yeah. the antagonist roles. Um, or not antagonist, but just always... I tend to prefer the that when it's it's an actor and or just some massive human that you know makes it for more of a theatrical presentation than somebody who you know actually has real instincts because it is you're definitely right like it's hard for them to put on the show of gang pummel. I think honestly the best one to me was Tarver, um, and only because at that point he had just kind of. You know, because I think it helped that he was way out of shape at that point. So, well, also Stallone always pushes for contact, like it, that he's crazy like that. He's been concussed on the set of at least two Rocky films, as far as I'm aware. Um, most notably, Rocky Four. He, he, I think he like his heart stopped. I think Dolph punched. He gave him the heart punch, <laughs> like, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> um, but um, I think the best um, is Gabe Rosado. Uh, Gabriel Rosado. Uh, who, if you're not aware, listeners, um, he is uh, Adonis Creed's opponent in kind of the middle of the first Creed movie. And that scene, that whole scene, is kind of the tip of the spear for the uh, the one the one-take action scene trend yeah, that we're, we're yeah. still kind of in the midst of. Uh, but that was one of the earliest examples of it that comes to mind, at least in you know mainstream cinema. Um, and that sequence is dynamite. Uh, it's fantastic. It, it's it's one take. It's beautifully choreographed, and uh, he's willing to sell. Like he makes he makes Michael B. Jordan look like a million bucks. Uh, they probably rehearsed the hell out of that because uh, it's sharp. Um, and he 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 even gets some like acting shit in there. Like he has some body language like ticks and quirks to him that's like, eh, I I think I kind of know this guy's personality a little bit just through the way he carries himself. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize he was a real fighter. So yeah, th that one's. He's a he's kind of a journeyman, so I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't pop up on your radar. He's lost to a lot of really good people. <laughs> 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 he's a great guy, as far as I can tell. 
Um, but last thing, I guess, in terms of compliments to pay the movie, um, that that locker room scene, I think, was... I, I needed that, and it helps that you have two very capable actors playing off of each other. It's very... In an age of so much goddamn noise, it is kind of neat to see the resolution to a conflict end so quietly and so genuinely. It's just like, sorry, bro. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and that that's that's kind of it. Um, it's actually kind of hilarious, though, because um, uh, the in the deleted scenes for Creed 2, they shot that exact same scene with Victor Drago. And they cut it out of that movie, and they basically put it here. So it's like kind of ruined. It like salts it a little bit, or it's like, oh man, you just repeated yourself. It's like you just saved an idea from the previous one and put it in the next one. But it works. It it does probably work a little bit better here because the 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 end of the fight in Creed Two is just so beautifully constructed, and all you need is the two characters coming to an understanding with each other in the ring and then that last shot of him running with his dad and like they turned a new leaf like they're they're cool with each other now great two's awesome <laughs> yeah i guess that's that's the legacy for this one is it does remind me that i need to watch those first two again because uh i i the more we talk about the more i realize i appreciate those the movies a hell of a lot more than i realize God, you got to bring your tissue box for that first one, man. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, folks. Uh, me and Matt, uh, we kind of had, especially when that movie came out, we kind of had a special connection to that one. Um, and it's still potent. I'll just tell you that much. Uh, I I had the wonderful pleasure of getting to in- introduce all things Rocky uh, to the girlfriend uh, in the lead up to Creed 3. Because uh, I was like, we are seeing this. I don't care if it's good or bad. We are seeing this. And and you will probably want to watch all of these other movies just so you can know what's happening in this one. Um, so I ended up showing her all the Rockies and all the Creeds, and uh, she absolutely loved them. She, she was an emotional wreck through a lot of them, especially the first Creed. Um, but yeah, that movie is... It's gone from like a, like a 4.5 star to a 5 out of 5 for me at this point. Like it, it, fucking great-ass movie. <laughs> I, I can already tell that that's probably where I'm going to hold it because, like I said, wa- watching this one definitely did bring to mind like how deep that movie really was compared for something again that really didn't need to be. Like it could have been really, really stupid, and I would have eaten it up. But, um, but yeah, they did some really cool stuff. So, but uh, I think if we're at the point where we're gushing about the first movie and we're we sh- we're just discussing the third, we're probably room out. Ready yeah, to I, I think up. we're out of steam here. L- last thing I'll toss out there: I did this when we talked about uh, Creed Two, so I'll try to do that, that here. Is a uh, bold predictions. Uh, so Matt said he thinks he thinks Amara, the daughter character, is going to be positioned as the the new torchbearer for the franchise. Maybe not in the next movie, but at some point, right? Uh, I think Bianca dies, and yeah. Oh, you you're so mean, <laughs> Tessa Thompson. Like, Tessa Thompson's too bored. Get her ass out of there. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't be shocked if she breaks the contract based on <laughs> how this one went. Get up, D. <laughs> yeah, she really phoned it. The fucking. Um, okay, so daughter might take center stage. Fat Donnie, maybe. 
I would love Fat Donnie. I don't know if we're ever going to get that, because like Matt said, I'm pretty sure Michael B. Jordan has a bit of an ego. Uh, he does seem a little body proud. I've se- he's been trying to sell me credit cards lately, and he's still jacked in those commercials. It's fucking weird. The way he, that man eats sushi, it's like, man, I wish I could enjoy anything as much as that man likes sushi. <laughs> but um, my bold prediction, and this is a dumb one, it's not as good as my prediction for last time, which actually was accurate. If I remember right, I said the next villain is going to be a dark mirror version of Adonis, and Damien may as well be that. Um, Matt actually had a fantastic idea uh, for Creed 3 when we talked about it, when we talked about Creed 2, and that was the promoter character in Creed 2, who is not present in this in any capacity. I feel like there was such wonderful material to mine with that character because he, the way he was positioned in the narrative of that story, if you were paying attention, which I doubt many people were, the way he was seemingly serving up Drago to Creed simply to turn a profit, like he didn't give a shit who won. It's just like, in fact, he was rooting for Creed, even though he his money was backing Drago. He was just stirring shit up because that's modern boxing. And I, f- I personally find that very fascinating because I'm heavily invested in the sport. I would have loved to have seen that character come back, although maybe that's a little too cliche. And it, it, it would have been too crowded in this story because they were deliberately trying to keep it like focused between the two characters. I, would, I think it would be really cool to revisit that. Um, but a new wrinkle, and this is, this is where my prediction comes in, Jake Paul. We're gonna yeah, do. We're gonna I, do I some Jake Paul shit. Going there, and that's why I was just gonna say, like, it would work, but it's gotta be either a freaking MMA guy or a YouTuber at this point, because, I mean, boxing continues to kind of. It's not dead, and I look. You know, I I know it's huge internationally, but in American, you know, to the American public, it's kind of an afterthought it's prestigious but its cultural footprint in the vast majority of this country is greatly diminished and you know i I do foresee them taking this one in the more comical kind or not comical but just more cartoony kind of way and that's the easiest way to do it it would be to either replicate the mayweather versus uh mcgregor that's kind of what i was thinking or you know, honestly, the way it's been going, the Paul versus anybody, Mayweather again. Anybody <laughs> over 40. <laughs> so who yeah, isn't a boxer? <laughs> that That's probably going to be it, unfortunately. I mean, I just read today that apparently he's being courted to star in a rags to riches boxer story, a movie, Jake Paul, that is. Um, I don't know. I don't think they would actually hire him. I think that that he's probably too busy anyway, honestly, but a character analogous to him, I feel like like some petulant upstart of the new generation. And at that at by the time you get to Creed four, Adonis will be in his late 30s, at least. So it's like you have the the young shitty TikToker guy who's starting shit and doing the Shannon Briggs. Let's go champ shit on TikTok and <laughs> doing pranks and stuff. <laughs> Although maybe that would alienate the target audience uh, to see themselves represented on film in such a negative light. 
I mean, that would bring me to the theater because I'd be like, yeah, it, it's like watching a, it's it, yeah, it's like watching a Denzel Washington movie or a Liam Neeson movie. It's like, yeah, watch that old guy beat the fuck out of that young guy. That's how that's how it happens in reality, in my reality of Redbox films. <laughs> well, and you know, not to start a a bigger another sect of the conversation but there's also the advertising part of it because i don't know what kind of features d-a-z-n or whatever the hell that network oh the zone but that made me so sad brother of mine to to hear the the zone commentary team do you do you realize that creed 2 i think i could be wrong on this i think creed 2 is the last video footage of the hbo commentary team yep Oh, I miss them so much. Uh, they everybody sucks now. <laughs> I mean, Mauro Ronaldo is kind of fun, I guess, because he he is like a wrestling commentator, and he sounds like a goddamn muppet. But there's no one. They're going nowhere. <laughs> but yeah, the does the fucking DAZN commentary crew is in this movie. And it's just like I don't know who any of you assholes are, and I love the sport. <laughs> Yeah, but don't don't sleep on that motivating kind of the direction they take it as well, because there's a lot of money that gets made by featuring certain networks and certain style of fighting as a result. So, fuck, Creed Five MMA <laughs> or no bare knuckle? <laughs> Donnie loses the house and he's got to he's got to join the bare knuckle fighting league. <laughs> he's got to fight some crazy method from Florida. <laughs> Better than slap fight or whatever the hell that one was. Power slap. Yep, there you go. It's the greatest sport. It's the sport of kings. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think it's time to call it quits. Uh, this was a lot of fun, though. <laughs> Too much fun, in fact. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for listening to our discussion. I don't know if you'd call this a review, but just our talk about all things Creed and Rocky, specifically Creed Three from the year 2023, directed by Michael B. Jordan. But before we go, Matt, love you, miss you. Thanks for joining me today. Um, would you like to tell all the listeners, like our five people on the internet who give a fuck, um, where they can find you and your super awesome podcasts, plural? Well, I don't know why they would ever want to, especially after listening to three hours of this shit. Everything but... is wrestling, goddammit. <laughs> Well, if you're into wrestling, I do the Hollywood Brunettes, and if you are into video games, I do Couch Co-op. Those are both with friends. It's completely amateur effort. Uh, it's pretty terrible, but I have fun, and those are both available on various platforms, but the most accessible is probably Spotify, because Anchor makes it really easy to upload shit without putting out a lot of effort. That's why I'm there. <laughs> I know Spotify has a shit reputation, but they make it easy. And it was it didn't belong to Spotify when I joined. Just full disclosure, <laughs> it got swallowed up by the evil empire. Uh, by the way, we we Japanese are humble people. In case you couldn't tell, <laughs> based based on my brother's lovely promotion of his of his artistic endeavor. <laughs> yes, yes, clearly, clearly value putting putting out so much great will to the ether out here. So. <laughs> Ah, with that being said, um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. 
Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Twitter at Catching Cinema, as well as the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. Uh, so fucking Google that shit. And that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.